On this episode, we discuss USS Indianapolis, Men of Courage. Wow. <laughs> wow. We're Owen Wilson. We're not in this movie. Wow. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Flophouse. I'm Dan McCoy. Hey, it's me, Stuart Wellington. And it's me, Elliot Kalin. Wow. Wow. Or am I Owen Wilson? Wow. <laughs> Ernest Hemingway, I can't believe you're here. I love your books. Wow. <laughs> All right. Wow, that's a good impression. Wow, Roz Chast from the New Yorker cartoon pages. You're here in 1920s Paris. Wow. I don't understand why that would be true. <laughs> <laughs> Seems very strange. Wow, Rhonda Shear from USA Up All Night. This is amazing. Wow. <laughs> Weird Midnight in Paris sequel. Wow, no. Harvey Kurtzman, creator of Mad Magazine. What are you doing at wow. Maxim's? <laughs> so okay. what do we do? We've alienated here? new listeners right off the bat. Uh, I think we've we've brought them all in. And what if that new listener is Owen Wilson? He's like Wow, I'm on a podcast. Wow, the flop house. I forgot I, I did this. Wow. I didn't even remember that I. Yep. Yeah. And I'll look in the mirror when he does it, and then uh, he'll be trapped in that mirror. Yeah, yeah. Um. Wait, what? <laughs> Come on. Come on. So, uh, yeah, here at the Flophouse Podcast, it's a podcast that you download off the internet. Okay. And then you listen to it with your family or something on a road trip. Who knows? Uh, um, thanks for explaining the idea of podcasts <laughs> to the person d- who just downloaded one. But what do we do on this specific podcast, Daniel? Uh, on this specific podcast, I'm glad you asked, Elliot Kalen. We uh, <laughs> watch a bad movie, and then we talk about it. And on this episode, we watched USS Indianapolis, Men of Courage. At least most of it. I mean, yeah. we were in the room while it was playing for the I mean, entire I went on a ba- at least one bathroom break. It's a long movie. This is, it's I think, a two-hour and ten-minute-long movie. I don't know that we've ever guys, had a movie together. Where guys, we, we made a whoopsie. F- we shouldn't have watched this movie. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, what a whoopsie. Wow. Oh, I forgot to mention why we watched this movie, why we settled on it. Because oh, it's Cagemas in July. It's that spe- second most special time of year, Cagemas in July, <laughs> when we celebrate the even lesser works of Nicolas Cage, in the hottest of months, mm-hmm. July. Mm-hmm. You know, they say July Hot is enough the to cook an egg of, on a Nicolas Cage face. <laughs> uh, maybe that's a weird thing to say. As I was saying, you know, they say July is the cagiest month. But I guess I should have been a pair of ragged cages scuttling across seas mm-hmm. after uh, the USS yep. Indianapolis. I can't help you out because I don't know this poem. It's all T.S. Eliot stuff. Right? Yeah. Uh, Did he say that April's the coolest month thing? Dan, look it up in your brain box. Okay. I'll take out my box full of brains. Okay. Ah, find T.S. Eliot's. Yep. Hook it up to my Thinko machine <laughs> that reads memories. Wow, T.S. Eliot. Wow. Oh, no, I've got Owen Wilson's brain. <laughs> wow, I'm a it's brain It's like that movie. They, they saved Owen Wilson's brain. Wow, thanks for saving my brain. Wow. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, so this movie, anyway, in our world, Owen Wilson says "Wow" a lot. Yeah, yeah, they saw Midnight in Paris. All he does is say "Wow" all movie. Uh, it's a movie I like actually. Uh, so, USS Indianapolis, Men of Courage. If you haven't heard of this movie, there's a reason for it. It was a big flop. 
but it's got an all-star cast. Nicolas Cage, Tom Sizemore, Thomas Jane appears in at least two scenes. Uh-huh. James Remar is James in two scenes. Mother Scratch and Remar. Uh, who is, I don't think we talk about him much on the Flophouse, but he is, I think, a favorite of ours, I would say. Oh, he's so great. He, I mean, <laughs> you know, I don't want to get ahead of myself here, guys. Okay. But as uh, he can come onto this piece of trash and immediately you're like, oh, wow, I might actually be watching a movie for a second. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then he waltzes off, and we're like, oh, it's not a movie anymore. <laughs> I, I like him because his name sounds like James Rebar, mm-hmm. which is that metal stuff that gets stuck through people all the time in action films. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And it holds your building together. Yeah. yeah I but, just mostly think about it as the thing that injures people in action They oh, okay. put it into buildings so that it can be propelled out by explosions to yeah. go through people. Or I think of it because that was the name of the bar slash wedding venue that our friend Joe got married at. And then a couple months later, the owners just surprisingly ran away after they'd taken a whole bunch of wedding deposits and all these people were totally fucked because they'd like planned their wedding and uh, this fucking dude just bounced with all their cash. So if your wedding was ruined by this, just write to James Remar, care Mm -hmm. of the USS Indianapolis, (laughs) 123 Bad Movie Street, Hollywood, California, 90210. Mm -hmm. Now uh, let's talk about the movie. Uh, this Why movie is based on a true story, mm-hmm. specifically the true story that most people know from the monologue that Quint tells in Jaws about the USS Indianapolis, the Navy ship that delivered the atomic bomb before it was dropped on Japan and then was sunk by a Japanese torpedo and guys fell out of that boat right into the mouths of some hungry sharks. Mm-hmm. And the men were floating in the water forever while sharks were just nibbling on them. Now, guys, I don't want to, you know you know, uh, flex my credentials here being the only, please don't flex your credentials. The, <laughs> the resident get torn, the only resident, <laughs> the only resident Hoosier. Okay. Here. But I believe it's, uh, to locals, it's known as the USS nap town, nap town. <laughs> yeah. That's what uh, locals call Indianapolis is nap town. <laughs> okay. Didn't, why did people take a lot of naps there? No, because that's if you say Indianapolis weird and you remove some of the letters, it sounds like nap. You think they'd call it like Indy? <laughs> no, that's for that. That's for non-locals. Okay, but locals call it nap. Nap town, yeah. So if okay. you want to be cool, just for the rest of this podcast, just call it USSS. Wait, how many s? Two S's, Naptown. I think I'm comfortable not being cool. Dash men of courage. <laughs> okay, so seems in- disrespectful to the hundreds of real men who lost their lives in the. Shark-infested waters, but all right. Naptown it is. Uh, Naptown it is. So Mario Van Peebles directed a movie called USS Naptown, (laughs) Men of Courage. Uh, I'll tell you who wasn't napping. These guys were being eaten by sharks. They were taking the longest nap, the dirt nap. But there was nary a dirt to be seen because they were in the water. They were buried at sea, or more specifically buried Inside a shark's belly. Are we belly talking about what's happening, or are we talking about the, <laughs> what, like the characters in the movie? <laughs> well, okay, we didn't talk about it. All right, so it's 1945. We're nearing the end of World War II. They don't know that, but they hope it is. And uh, there's a sequence where a bunch of men in a dark room basically just tell us what's going on in the world at the moment. It's one of those scenes where people, the audience needs to be brought up to speed about where in history we are. So people tell each other stuff they'd know. So a guy's like, look. Truman's been president for three mm-hmm. months, and we want the war to end soon. We got, like, they bombed, they attacked us at Pearl Harbor. We fought back, but they've been fighting back hard, too. And the other yeah. guys in the room should be like, yeah, we know, dude. Like, no. we've been living through the same time you have. <laughs> the guy's like, fedoras are very big right now. 
We wear them everywhere. Everybody's swing dancing, as we'll see in a scene later in the movie. Meanwhile, racism continues. Somebody needs to cut together an alternate opening to the Star Wars movie where it just has a bunch of guys sitting around basically reading the opening crawl to each other. (laughs) That's kind of what this was. The only thing that would have made this more artificial if he was like, look, fellas. Truman's been in office for three months. The war's coming to an end. The Beatles were just born. And in 20 years, they're going to change the way we look at pop music. Mm. But for now, we've got to get this A-bomb over to Japan. Yeah. But it didn't go quite that far. But anyway, they decide they got to deliver this A-bomb. That's Also, this is a movie where the Manhattan Project and the atomic bomb, a project so secret that Harry Truman was not told about it until the president died and he became president. Everyone seems to know about it. So there's a part where Nicolas Cage is being told you're going to carry a secret device. And he goes, is this related to the Manhattan Project, sir? It's like, what was it? Was he reading in a magazine about it? Like, (laughs) did he catch something on the news about how the Manhattan Project was coming along? But anyway, uh, so they decided. There's a copy of Highlights for Kids. (laughs) They figured they'd hide it in there. Yeah. Inside that picture where it's like a normal picture, but there's lots of little things hidden inside it. Goofus has become death, destroyer of worlds. (laughs) Gallant cleans his room. (laughs) (laughs) Gallant decides not to unleash the power of the split atom upon the world, but Goofus just wants the war to end quickly. Uh, So anyway, they're going to deliver the parts for the atomic bomb. Uh, Nicholas Cage is the commander of the USS Indianapolis, or as Stuart calls it, the USS Naptown. Locals. And we are very quickly introduced to a bunch of dumb sailor characters. There's the guy who has the girlfriend he wants to propose to, and she's rich, and he feels intimidated by that. There's the guy with the girlfriend. We have this, like, Really great dancing scene. It's like the first time the movie wakes up for a second is they're like, hey, let's have these people dance. They're like, let's have them swing dance. And every extra in the scene should either be totally too energized or just sitting there staring into space doing nothing. Nowhere in between, please. Uh, But anyway, there's a lot of dancing. But he also has a friend, and it's hard to tell the two of them apart because they really look alike. Yeah. They're just two kind of like beefy, handsome-y guys. There's... The white guy and the black guy who don't like each other and get into fights and are thrown in the brig. Mm-hmm. There's the guy who can't swim, who talks about how he can't swim. Uh-huh. There's the guy who's in debt. And there's the like Weasley guy. The Weasley guy with yeah, glasses. Yeah, the gambler. And mm-hmm. so, and not, not Kenny Rogers. No, no, no. no. If only. <laughs> no, that is not what I would describe a Weasley guy looking like. <laughs> <laughs> no, Kenny Rogers has always struck me as kind of like a really respectable werewolf. Yeah. yeah, the guy yeah, was a yeah, werewolf, yeah. but he also like was like he's the richest guy in town, and yeah. like, he sponsors the local little league team in the library. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The the head werewolf. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The one that that the, loop guru that you're like, <laughs> oh, I'll call him by the French name. That's cool because <laughs> he's really classy. Yeah. Well, the guy where it's like, uh, I don't, you know, you shouldn't, you should be afraid of him because it's a werewolf. You know, he's going to do the right yeah, thing. Yeah. You end. find out at the end of the movie though that he's the werewolf. That he's the one who's been controlling everyone. Like, oh, he doesn't just have a He's big the master beard. werewolf. He's the, yeah, yeah. Is there a movie called Master Werewolf? <laughs> uh, also, I think you're thinking of vampires. Yeah. I don't well, know that there's usually a master werewolf unless it's like the alpha of the pack. And he's just yeah. followed by a lot of beta cuck wolves. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Always yeah. goes back to that. Man, how bad would it be to be a were cuck? 
No, Where at no. the full moon you turn into a cuck? That'd be terrible. <laughs> mm-hmm. And you're just like, oh, I am. Uh, yeah, you fuck my wife. I know, I'm a globalist who can't stand up for uh, Republican principles. <laughs> I'm not a true conservative like you are. I'm a statist. But then the rest of the month you're like, I want to tear down the government. I want to destroy it from the inside. But again, during that full moon you're like, mm, um, You maybe, become the thing you hate. Well, yeah. Yeah, maybe the government does have a role in and our lives. And you keep lives. accidentally in- infecting your bros with, uh, <laughs> with globalist <laughs> beliefs. Yeah, with the idea that people should help each other mm-hmm. anyway uh so there's a fight outside a movie theater and in the scuffle the guy who wants to propose to his rich girlfriend loses his ring and it's taken by the weasley guy so i do want to point out that somewhere in this process where the guy is talking about how he wants to propose to his girlfriend he says to his friend you miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't take which is a quote that is attributed to wayne gretzky <laughs> who is not alive at this point i don't think he stole it from this sailor yeah there's also a part where, and so, and please, any ladies or men who have an interest in the history of feminine hygiene, there's a part where a guy hurts his hand on the ship, and he goes, "Oh, I hurt my hand," and they're like, "And they're like, how? Put back your tampon." And it's like, I thought they would use like sanitary belts at the time. I don't know if tampons, the way we think about them, were around in the. 40s. Mm-hmm. Somebody right I mean, there. It's let me popular know. enough that just like regular guys are making jokes of it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that a guy in the 40s has any idea what's going on in a woman's vagina when he's not in it is <laughs> astounding. Guys, I'm I'm off work this week. Let's go down to the menstruation museum and figure this thing out. There's a menstruation museum. I don't know. Mm-hmm. There's got to so be. So I guess uh, I guess take a personal day for that, Elliot. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> it's right next to the museum of sex. Is the museum of no sex tonight? <laughs> Uh, anyway. Yeah, yeah, that's what the anime museum. <laughs> <laughs> that's the no sex ever. Uh, just kidding. Just, just kidding. kidding. We love anime. No, JK, 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 JK. They have sex with tentacles all the time. Anyway, so, uh, and there's also this rich lieutenant who's a real asshole and nobody likes him who's working under Nicolas Cage. Wait, he's rich and an asshole? Yes. Okay. I'll, I know <laughs> science fiction, sell right? it to me, but... <laughs> <laughs> Gonna uh, take some interesting acting choices. Now, and there's also a guy who's writing a book. And we know this because he always has his moleskin out and he's always scribbling Yeah, he's it. like fucking underwater scribbling it. Yeah, I, he's got this magic moleskin with apparently water retardant uh, paper. Now, what kind of British children's cartoon would that be? The magic moleskin? <laughs> <laughs> would it be about kids who write like a, in, in a magic book where things come to life if they write about them? I think Dan's just particularly mad because every time he's working on his moleskin in the shower, it just falls to pieces. <laughs> <laughs> Dan, I told I'm, you not to do any more like, of your bath time writing <laughs> sessions. I'm trying to draw my penis. He's like, Monday. <laughs> Monday engorgement diary. <laughs> I can only draw myself when I'm glistening wet. You saw that f- paint that self-portrait Bush did of himself yeah. in the shower, and you're like, I want to do that's the I work. Kind that. of work. I thought he was in the bath. He was in the bath. He did but- a bath one and, uh, and one where he's looking like in the mirror in the bathroom, I guess. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Look, that's, that's you and George W. Bush have a lot in common. You mm-hmm. were both terrible presidents. Yeah. You love doing that- art in the bathroom. Like, you're the kind of guy I just want to have a beer with, you know? You're doing it Am right I the now, kind of dude. guy that I want to have a beer with? You're like George W. Bush. You're like the kind of guy I'd want to have a beer with. Yeah. I guess we've had beers together, so that yeah, checks dude, out. like for a million years. <laughs> yeah, since the dawn of the ape man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, there's a bunch it's of- the sto- dawn of the planet of the apes. You're watching- That's the name of a movie, Dan. Let's get through this piece of garbage movie. <laughs> okay. I want, just want to say one thing. Normally on this podcast, we would try to get through most of the plot. Mm-hmm. Here's the thing. There's a bunch of little plot threads of different characters. Let's not bother with them. This is one. Of, this mm-hmm. is a very old-fashioned movie in two ways. One, 
it's the kind of it's a very old fashioned kind of like a bunch of different plot lines, and then they are all have to deal with the same disaster. In this case, the disaster is a ship that sinks and sharks. Mm-hmm. It's also old fashioned that the special effects in it look like super terrible nineties CD ROM game <clears throat> level. Like these are sub sci fi channel level effects mm-hmm. with some of the most CGIest ships and planes and torpedoes and sharks. It was like every now and then you were like, wait a minute, was World War II about America versus reboot? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, was that, hold on a second, was the, were the Axis powers declaring war on the money for nothing video? Yeah, yeah, when <laughs> when they uh, shoot the missiles at their ship, they're like, somebody just get Judge Doom to pour dip all over that thing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the point is, they're all on this ship, they're delivering the atomic bombs. Meanwhile, or atomic bomb parts. You yeah, can get uranium. Them, you can get them at Bomb Depot. For Meanwhile, bomb. uranium? I thought it was Myranium. Oh, no. Classic Uranium joke. <laughs> yeah. you got to believe Oppenheimer and Fermi were telling that one all the time. Uranus? I thought it was my anus. You'd know if it was Uranus. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you got you must have stuck a lot of ice up that thing that's so numb you can't tell if it's yours anymore or not. Uh, who told you? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, anyway, so... They meanwhile, there's a they say, uh, well, they say, can we'll have our escort of destroyer ships, right? And they go, no, this is a secret mission, we don't want to draw attention. You're going unescorted all the way to the Philippines to deliver this bomb. Meanwhile, and they go, what? It's just us against it the seems world, crazy. But James Remar tells Nicolas Cage this while somebody in a, in a conference room on the ship, while someone is using a blowtorch to attach a metal box of some kind to the, to the wall. I don't know what they're doing. Like, I literally have no idea. I think no that idea. might be the radi- radioactive material. I think they've, they've got, like, a lead box that they're carrying the but material in. they also have in. these huge crates that they're... Yeah, and I don't... And then why would they store it in the I conference think room? I think they're too... Well, that, that I don't understand. And then why isn't Nicholas Cage, second, the cop in the ship, like, hey, tell me again why they're attaching that metal box to the wall right over no, there? No, you don't need to know that. It's, it's so Superman well, can't one, see through it. <laughs> at one point, he's like, this ship's now under the direct control of the president. And I'm like, maybe it's like a phone that the president can use? Yeah. Yeah, I don't think so, though. They never use it. He calls up and he's just like, hey, what's going on? <laughs> I think they might. I just want to talk. Yep. It's lonely wow. at the top. It's me, President Owen Wilson. Wow, it's 1945. Wow, that's a good president. Wow, Joe DiMaggio, you're still playing baseball now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm just thinking about the 1945 thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> wow, I'm so happy that. The Lost Weekend mm-hmm. came out a few years ago. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Or maybe it's Ca- this year. Casablanca, probably. That was a couple years earlier, but wow. Wow, S- Stewart's parents are going to be born in a few years. <laughs> <laughs> Can't wait for Stewart's folks to be born. Wow. Hey, wow. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, Mr. President, uh, I got to go. Wow. Hey, can, I can't wait for Spider-Man to come out 18 years from now. <laughs> Amazing Spider-Man number one. I know his first appearance will be 17 years from now in Amazing Fantasy number 15. Wow. Remind um, me to get one of those, but don't let my mom throw it out. Mr. President, why does your mom keep your comic book collection? <laughs> wow, I live at home. Wow. <laughs> I don't know why President Owen Wilson lives at home. But. Yeah. It seems like between he's got too many long boxes of comics. Between being a president and place. also being a movie star, he should and have, a grown up. And let's yeah. just say it, a grown ass man. Uh, yeah, yeah, we can say that. Okay, so their ship was hit in the beginning. They bring on a new complement of sailors. Nicholas Cage tells them, "Hey, 
I'm your captain. Without me, you're nothing. But mm-hmm. without you, I'm nothing. So She's let's like, work I'm, together. I, I'm the captain now. Yeah, yeah. But he says it with like a machete in his hand or mm-hmm. something. Yeah. Um, they. Uh, meanwhile, there's a Japanese sub that is patrolling the waters that they're going to go through. Yep. And it's run by a commander Hashimoto. I think his name was. Mm-hmm. And if not, you're just being racist. But let's- uh, I mean, it might have been a different Japanese name. That's a perfectly good <laughs> guess. I think that's what it was. He's a character introduced to us uh, when looking in the mirror and he has a conversation with his uh, ghost ancestor. Yeah, who tells him, well, well, we should explain it. Well, one, Dan, I would be racist if I was like, uh, yeah, he's, I guess his name is Nissan Godzilla. Like, Mm -hmm. that would be racist. Mm -hmm. If he basically (laughs) said any of the lines that Piston Honda would say in uh, the Punch-Out video game. (laughs) Yep, I think that counts, yeah, as racist. Anyway, so... Nicholas Cage explains that the Japanese have a new type of torpedo called a kaitan, mm-hmm. or kaitan, which is which was a real thing, which is a manually guided torpedo. It's like a kamikaze flight, but underwater. It's a torpedo with a dude in it, and he steers it towards the ship, so it's harder to avoid. But like it. apparently, they would drive it for a while, and then when they get close to their target, they would like surface and be like, "Oh, there's the boat," and then they go back underwater and hit the. Hit yeah, the boat. I don't think they could see anything very well yeah. from where they were. But, it's not uh, like they have like a little targeting computer like in Star Wars or well, something. Well, they turn off that thing and they just use the force. No kidding. Yeah, their ancestor tells them, use okay. the force, Japanese naval guy. Sure. And, <laughs> and, and the Japanese naval guy's like, why are you calling me Japanese <laughs> naval guy? <laughs> You're just Japanese naval too. <laughs> to you, I'm just a naval guy. <laughs> you should like, know my name. You're my ancestor. And, and the ancestor's like, if I just call you naval guy, it makes it sound like you're a guy obsessed with belly buttons. So I, mm-hmm. I thought I needed to specify and a little bit. That's weird. <laughs> I could still be a Japanese guy obsessed with naval na- belly buttons. You're right. Oh, this is use your targeting <laughs> you know, computer. You know what? Me, I'm about to die. <laughs> it's like I shouldn't have been just drinking before easy. I came to advise you. Just use your targeting <laughs> computer. Uh, with this, with, uh, now I just want to think of. of of things where it's Star Wars, but it's also the Japanese Navy. It's like, put this blast shield down. I can't see the ships. <laughs> anyway, uh, Nicolas Cage explains these things. It's a lot harder to avoid them using the standard zigzag pattern. Hashimoto, every time he sends a man out in a, one of those torpedoes, he feels guilty about it, and his hit rate is very low. And so while they're going across the ocean, both of these guys, uh, we see them notice that Japanese see a ship ahead of them. And he decides he will fire one of the Kaitan torpedoes. Meanwhile, Nicolas Cage is like, battle stations, everyone, move, 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 load those guns, ah, move, move, move. And they fire the torpedo. A guy has to get in it. He's dead no matter what happens. Mm-hmm. Whether they hit the ship or not, he's dying. And it turns out, oh, it was a merchant ship, and they missed it. And then Nicolas Cage is like, great work with the drill, everybody. We're doing great. Get back to your stations. And so it's like, wait a minute, movie. You cut together... To a ship and a submarine in two totally different places, and then you made us think that they were in a battle together. That was dirty pool movie. Yeah, mm-hmm. that was this dirty is, pool. We just watched uh, for our live Alamo show. We just watched Stolen, which pulls the same trick of like it's another Nicolas Cage movie where the cops yeah. are like running into a building yeah. that you think that Nicolas Cage is in, well, but and that- it turns out it's a separate building. And it's like, you know, like the, the, it's the technique that was most famously, I think, used in Silence of the Lambs, mm-hmm. where they the think that there are two ships were in a fight. Well, they think that they're going into Buffalo Bill's house and it's not. And, Turns out uh, to be Bill O'Buffs. Bill O'Buffs. Bill O'Reilly's nude cousin. Oh, gross. But he doesn't look like him, does he? No, just oh, he looks just, just like him. Oh, so many folds. 
uh, but yeah, it's but in stolen, we are being fooled the same way the police are being fooled. Like the, yeah. Nicolas Cage is deliberately doing that here. The movie's just jerking us around. Yeah. Uh, because hey, you know what else happens on this dangerous mission to the Philippines to deliver the atom bomb parts? Nothing. They get there very fast in record time. They say and deliver it now, which was great for us because we're like, oh man, this movie's gonna go super fast. I hope now. Yep. Yeah. We were wrong because now they have to turn around and go back, also without an escort, because an escort might tip people off to the fact that hey, this ship went to the Philippines. Why did it do that? And people might look into it and find out there's a bombs a popping. So they're going off. Long story short, yeah. they do get hit by a Japanese torpedo okay. this time. Their <clears throat> ship sinks, and it takes forever for it to sink. And they basically rip off the whole sinking from Titanic. The boat tilts. It cracks in half. People fall off of it and bump into things on the I way mean, down. I mean, luckily the special effects are worse, so that, that was pretty hilarious. <laughs> and I imagine James Cameron is watching this movie because he loves things about the sea, and he's like, yeah. wait a minute. This is just like Titanic. Let me call my lawyer. And he dies every, dials every... He dies because he's so mad. <laughs> and the world mourns the director of Avatar uh, and True Lies and Piranha 2. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's dialing the numbers. And as he's about to hit the last digit, he notices how bad the special effects are. And he goes, mm, <laughs> never mind. And he just hangs up the phone. And he's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sue him for every penny of profit they make. And then uh, oh, we, we, so and then James you're going to have to pay us negative $39 million. <laughs> oh, what? And James Cameron tools off in his submarine. <laughs> in his bathysphere. <laughs> yep. yep. Man, that guy loves space. He loves underwater. What doesn't he love? He's the, the Earth. The, he's one of the world's oh. last pioneers. Yeah. He is one of the world's last pioneers, like, yeah. Yeah, terra firma, not for him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, terra no firma, thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this movie, so then everybody's falling off of it, and there's a lot of, like, explosions and stuff. Nicholas Cage tries to go down with his ship, but he gets blasted off by an explosion into the water, and a shark zooms past him. And watching these explosions, the thought I had, and I ran it by you guys, was that it felt like I was watching, like, the Six Flags World War II stunt show. Yeah. yeah. Like, very, very, I mean, the movie was not super low budget. According to Wikipedia, it cost $40 million, but uh, it oh, looks... what I wouldn't do with $40 million. I could buy... Forty million what foot long. I mean, I would pay for. <laughs> I could buy eight million foot longs from I'd pay for Subway. Tom Sizemore to talk to me about sharks all day long. That's what he does. Uh, he actually he has his his monologue about sharks. That's right. That's a decent little scene. Which is the best part in the movie is Tom Sizemore is just scaring a bunch of guys by talking about how mean sharks are if they fall in the water. Uh, that was the one monologue in it where I was like, okay, that's a good moment. Is it as good as Quint's monologue in Jaws? Which tells the story of this movie? No. Which is an iconic monologue in all of cinema history? No, it's not as good yeah. as that. It's not just an iconic moment in some of I cinema it's history. Uh, it's you just had to mention it was all of cinema history. Um, that seems like a really small thing to catch me on, but I guess <laughs> catch you're you if correct. I can, and yeah, I could. He's got you. <laughs> hey, so, look, the Al Capone uh, got caught on tax evasion, dude. So yeah, deal with Elliot, it. You're going the, to movie uh, jail. Were oh, no. the submarine scenes as good as the scenes from Das Boot? Um, I would not say that. Okay. I would say the submarine scenes were at least as good as any of the cutscenes in the GoldenEye video game. <laughs> okay. But you didn't get to run around a submarine or a warehouse throwing mines down and waiting for your friends That's to bump the into and explode. Part that are playing piss, uh, what slappers only? Yeah. <laughs> no odd job. No odd job. No, no. You don't want to be odd job if it's just slappers. You can't reach anybody. Yeah, that's trash, dude. Or it's just you're playing Golden Gun. No, you just hole up and shoot people as they walk by. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Oh, what a game! What a great game, what Dan. Game. Why don't we watch that? Uh, why don't we watch Goldeneye? footage of us playing Golden Eye in college? <laughs> Not the movie, which is fine, but the video game. 
I don't have GoldenEye. That's probably among that's probably first among many reasons why we didn't watch GoldenEye. That's actually a pretty good argument. It's a fair reason. That's a very yeah. good reason. Okay, so or it's because you're a Leon's Cossack traitor. Okay, isn't that what Sean Bean is in that movie? Sure. You guys fucking saw Goldeneye. Don't look at me like I I'm a maniac. I haven't seen Goldeneye in so long. I saw Goldeneye when it was released, and I think that was the only time I saw Goldeneye. What is up with this Goldeneye-liking <laughs> denial over here? <laughs> no, I didn't, that I'm shit. not saying I didn't like it. <laughs> Certainly up to that point, it was the best James Bond movie I'd ever seen in the theater, but I think I'd only seen License to Kill in the theater before that. I don't buy it. I think you guys are I think you guys are gaslighting me into thinking <laughs> that you don't like that Goldeneye isn't awesome. It's fine. Dan, uh, why are you looking at me weird? You, are you, is that a tacit agreement? Sure. Okay. Goldeneye is fucking this. great. Pre-Casino Royale, Goldeneye was a lot higher in my esteem. I don't remember it super well in all the details or, because... Or Robbie Coltrane's in it, right? Who's Robbie Coltrane playing it? He plays the Russian guy. Yeah. Does he? I do remember I that. Remember you know what? I barely remember. I got to watch the movie. He's a Russian guy on the well. level of the video game that's really hard to do because a bunch of dudes try and kill you. Oh, I remember that one. Okay. <laughs> it's weird that my memories of the game are so much stronger than my memories of the movie. I remember Xenia on a top. Yeah. It's kind of eerie how well the the N64 graphics captured the rugged features of <laughs> Robbie Coltrane. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they really got across how Pierce Brosnan's face is made out of three flat planes <laughs> with a nose drawn on them. <laughs> You know what? I changed my mind. GoldenEye sucks. The game, <laughs> not the movie. Just kidding. The game's great. Okay. So, but, so the sinking scene takes forever, which leads us to the endless scenes of characters bobbing around in the ocean as sharks eat them. Mm-hmm. Now, this could be exciting. These people are sitting ducks for sharks, or sitting cucks, rather, for sh- for alpha sharks. Uh, and, I mean, if Owen Wilson's watching this, he's like, wow, how are they going to oh, get no. out of this one? Wow. But the movie is so slow. And it takes it so much for granted that we would rather see these characters mumble to each other, at times nearly incomprehensibly, than yeah. watch them be eaten by sharks or escape from sharks. Here's some actual sample dialogue from this movie. It's like Boomhauer did all the ADR for the movie. How... I wonder how much. Uh, let's do some real talk here, guys. Okay, let's fine. Let's down. you know, let's get real. Let's have a little rap session. Okay, let's have a real like uh, night calls. Yeah. Uh, how much of this do let's you think was it. so? Like, this is a story that let's is, car talk this. Uh, this is a <laughs> this is based on a true story, and the survivors of this incident. There are some that are still alive. Yeah, yeah. Like, and in no way am, are we throwing any shade toward the. The no fucking dudes who lost their lives this in this is, thing. That's insane. This is a horrifying real thing that happened. Anyone who survived it, I'm amazed. And I, my heart goes out to the people who didn't survive it and their families. They certainly deserve a better movie. A much better movie. <laughs> that being said, let's skip ahead. They have some brief interview clips at the very end of the movie of real survivors. <laughs> and one of the guys has the funniest thing he says where he's like, it's, I guess it's not the funniest. Maybe it's just funny after watching well, the Well, there's almost no interviews at the end. It's, oh, yeah. like, it's, it's like, totally tacked on right at the end to be like, hey, these guys were there for it's real. It's like 45 seconds worth of interviews. It's almost like for a moment they accidentally cut in a feed of the DVD extras. Yeah. And then they, they're like, oh, shit, get, oh, the button's all greasy. I can't turn it off. Okay, great. I turned it off. But this guy says, like, I, I was there and I saw 
After seeing so many men get eaten by sharks, I could never like sharks. I just think they're terrible. <laughs> and I love it because, one, it's like real hot take, dude, because everyone else thinks sharks are amazing and we want to kiss them, I guess. But also there was something about the way he said it where it was like he's like just that vindictiveness against sharks as if they were like as if they were I a person. I can only imagine yeah. that there, years ago his grandson came to him holding – a trapper keeper with the street sharks emblazoned <laughs> upon it. Mm-hmm. And he was uh, Jabberjaw. He, he saw an episode of Jabberjaw on like, television. He's like, no. Sharks don't play fucking drums. <laughs> yeah, you better get out of that band. That shark's going to eat you and your friends. Whereas one day his his daughter brought home her new boyfriend. You don't deserve respect, Jabberjaw. <laughs> one day his, his daughter, would you eat curly? Is that what you sound like him? Her dad, His daughter brought home her new boyfriend. And he was a shark. And he just got real mad. Like, I'm not no finheads marrying into my family. You get that gill breather out of here with his three rows of teeth. And she's like, Dad, the war's over. You can't say those things anymore. Sharks and humans are at peace now. No, wait. Were the Jets the Puerto Rican gang or the sharks? The sharks were the Puerto Rican gang. Okay. The Jets were were the white gang. Okay, so this old man could also have been racist. I mean, it's possible because when you're a jet, you're a jet all the way from your first cigarette to your last dying day. And he did say he, if you poke a shark in the eyes, it doesn't like it. <laughs> he also makes the point That's that a you, notably human trait. <laughs> he says if you punch a shark in the eye, it, it hurts it and it fl- swims away. And he says it as if this is like a secret weak point that no other animal gets hurt by being punched in the eye. I hate to be coming down so hard on this old man. <laughs> Who, again, survived a truly frightening and harrowing situation. In in truth, he brought us a moment of joy, (laughs) what is otherwise a slog of a movie. A dreary slog. I feel like that life hack, (laughs) (laughs) like it really deserves its place in a, when you're scrolling down Facebook and something pops up that's like a life hack, it should be. Poke a shark in the eye, it'll thrash around. Well, I'll tell you something. If I encounter a shark uh, tomorrow while I'm walking down the street, I'm certainly going to punch it in the eye. What if it's a friendly shark? What if it's a shark that's asking asking you directions? Elliot, you... Dude, asking for directions is the first way a shark's going to attack you. Yeah. point for some time. I'm just saying you shouldn't I got out of the movies last night, and this motherfucker asked me where the Barclays Center is. Like, dude... That is the oldest shit in the book. You know where the Barclays well, Center is, It can't be the oldest guy. shit in the book. The Barclays Center's only around for like five years. Hell yeah, yeah but it, it used to be Madison Square Garden, and I'm like... No, it didn't. <laughs> I'm sick. The Barclays Center didn't used to be no, Madison Square Garden. I mean, Square the line Garden. used to be. Oh, I see. I'm okay. sick of your SJW stuff, your shark justice warrior nonsense. Hey, Dan, look. Just because you don't recognize the sharks for what they are and the contributions they bring... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I don't even like going down this route yeah. because it makes me feel like I'm making fun of people, <laughs> like I'm making fun of people who do need, uh, yeah. who actually need yeah. representation. I think that <laughs> I think that I just barely skirted being problematic by making that original. Yeah, no, I think you dove straight into that hole. <laughs> yeah, no, they, you can be charitable to yourself. No, no, keep digging, Dan. Yeah. Anyway. So I apologize to everybody still, and I apologize so to that, that old man. man. That if old he, man's great. That old man who again, World War II veteran. Helped us deliver Fucking the atomic star bomb of the parts, movie, which by, is, all, uh, you by know. all accounts, he was the most entertaining part of the movie. And this is a movie with Nicolas Cage in it. Yeah. Nicolas Cage spends most of the movie sopping wet, just sitting on the edge <laughs> of a raft, kind of mumbly and unhappy. And everybody's just kind of bobbing in the water. Tom Jane appears as kind of a cocky rescue pilot. He barely has any scenes in the movie. It's There's terrible. A, there is a moment where he waves at Nicolas Cage and, oh, the stories those guys could tell each other. There's a brief moment of, like, recognition between the two of them, like, yep, 
Mm-hmm. We're in this one. You getting a check? Yeah, I'm getting a check. Well, I'll write my my fellow brother in arms. Like there's a little moment of samurai honor between the two. Of I them. wonder. I wonder if when they're getting coffee, you know, in between takes, if they're like. Yeah, are you doing that? Uh, you doing that 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 killer monkey movie next week? He's like, no, I pass on that. Like, oh yeah, I'm, uh, I gotta do this killer monkey. Movie. Oh damn! Oh no, C- Cusack's doing that. Oh okay, fine. Oh, All yeah, right, I'll uh, do it. He's always snaking us on that one. No, I'm doing the snake one. <laughs> <laughs> which are is which one of us are we? You you and you're gonna do that movie where we kidnap the president's daughter, right? But we're good guys. Yeah, yeah, we're both gonna do that movie. Okay, great. That's is it. A, is it a comedy or is it a drama? And Tom Jane's like, I think we're going to figure that out on the set. <laughs> yeah. It kind of depends how we play it. Nicholas Cage is like, good point, Tom. Good point. Anyway, yeah. I think there's just like a club that's Nicholas Cage and Tom Jane and John Cusack and like, who else would be in that? Uh, oh, I'm trying to think of like who else would be like an A-list person who has like gotten to A-list that point. Who does a lot of junk. Yeah. You know? I mean, there's we, some like like I, like Dench, I guess I don't know. I feel like Josh Lucas is in a lot of bad movies too. Yeah, yeah. They all have this. They have this group that they. they I want to think they call the B list squad, the A list B listers, mm-hmm. and they're like all A list actors who find themselves in a lot of B list movies for various reasons. And Nicolas Cage is, of course, the president of the club. Mm-hmm. Maybe Thomas Jane is the vice president. Yeah, for a while I thought F. Murray Abraham would be in that club, but you know he found some lucrative TV work. You know. Uh, he might be in that club. I mean, people pass in and out of the club is yeah. the thing. Uh, but anyway, so they're bobbing around in the water for a long time. Yep. The Japanese There's sub at least goes like home. 50 minutes of this movie at least is just them bobbing around in the water. Yeah. Just occasionally being eaten by sharks, usually mumbling to each other. Everyone in this movie... It's either mumbles or it's just hard to hear them over the sounds. There's a point and where the, the water <laughs> is a color of brown that is indicative of being close to shore. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You're saying that level of silt and dirt yeah. right on the surface right, doesn't usually yeah. indicate the middle of the ocean. Uh, the There's a part where the dialogue's so hard to hear. There's a part in the movie where Thomas Jane's co-pilot yells something and it sounds like he's going, God damn it, sandwich. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I was like, God damn it, sandwich. And Dan goes, that's what I heard. <laughs> it's just like they, the, the whole, so much of the movie feels like a bad lip flap video uh, or bad lip read. What's it called? Mm-hmm. Bad lip reading. Yeah, I think that's right. Uh, so anyway, eventually they're rescued and the war is over because newsflash, we dropped two atomic bombs on Japan and Japan did not want us to drop any more atomic bombs on it, which is a reasonable position. Uh, <laughs> nobody likes having atomic bombs dropped on them. Yeah, they wrote, they wrote a note to the U.S. saying, Dear U.S., please, fewer atomic bombs. It's Love, it. Japan. <laughs> Love, Japan. P.S., we mean it. Please stop with the, by fewer we mean no more, please. Yeah. Yeah, so most of the named characters are saved. Tom Sizemore lost a leg that he was cradling for a while, and then he died. Yeah. Uh, and so we think the movie's done. And the guy who was going to marry his girlfriend, he dies too, right? Yeah, he got, yeah, he got a little shark bit on the leg. And but his friend donezo. gets the ring back from the guy who took it. From Gollum. And he marries the In, girlfriend. In a scene where this guy delivers his, like, sad story and his cry moment, like, he's in a completely different movie. Like, yeah. he's expecting to be showered in gold. <laughs> this is, he he thinks for a moment, am I Oscar Schindler wishing I could have saved, wondering why I didn't save more people? Yeah, that's the scene I'm doing. Okay. And it's like, he and the, and the, the other actor is Director looking- Mario Van Peoples was like, play it bigger. 
Probably. Bigger buddy. I mean, I just assumed that he was trying to write himself into a Flintstones cartoon as Mario Van Pebbles. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And <laughs> holding on to that joke? Or? I, it, the way that scene's... <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. No, what's going to happen there? Hey, look. There's only so many Mario Van Pebbles jokes you make. No one remembers the movie Solo. So that was the one where he was an action star, right? No, I was going to say Solo and you fucking beat me to it. <laughs> what other movies Sorry, was he Steve. in, dude? Uh, Jaws 4, The Revenge. No, I know. That's where he got his taste the, for shark movies. Yeah. What was, uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, just like a shark has a taste comes, for blood. Mario Van Peebles has a taste for shark movies. <laughs> he comes strutting on the stage. He's an old hand at shark movies. Mm-hmm. What was the movie where he was, a uh, where he was, a uh, like a cowboy? I mean, he was in Highlander three. Yeah, that's true. What was that? The new dimension or something? Yeah. Uh, his name is Kane in that movie. <laughs> sure, of course it is. Uh, yeah. No, I remember the Western you're talking about, but I don't remember the name of it. it. I probably like Shark Boys, and they ride sharks instead of horses. That makes sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, so. So anyway, uh, they get rescued. Their lives seem to be back to normal. The guy gives a tearful return of the ring in a scene where it feels like Mario Van Peebles was telling the guy, bigger, bigger, and then telling the guy who was listening to the story, smaller, smaller. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. the guy lying in bed listening to the story it's almost like you can see on his face just how much longer is this? Like, <laughs> when am I going to be done with this scene? Let's just get this over with. The two guys, the black guy and the white guy who hated each other and were in the brig because they were in a fight, now they're besties because they shared a raft together and they're best of friends. It's a real defiant ones subplot. Yeah. Then. It's very much like the Donald Logue subplot in the movie The Patriot. Yeah. Except it, I guess it isn't as racist as that was it. That was like the classic reformed racist character in a I historical see. movie. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about, right? Yes. The yes. movie The Patriot. Yeah, the movie The Patriot. <laughs> With Mel Gibson. Yeah, my, a movie that my dad really liked because the costume seemed authentic. <laughs> yeah, my dad really liked it because he thought the uh, the cannonballs moved in a realistic way. <laughs> <laughs> they moved in a realistic way? Like they didn't sashay or what is the... What, the cannonballs? Yeah. No, that like <laughs> that like they actually like lined up and then they bounced. Like the cannonballs bounced as opposed to like reacted like they were mortar shells. Because mm. cannonballs didn't like, they don't land and explode. They bounce and like fuck everything up. Yeah, they hit you. Yeah. Okay. It's like a giant metal ball. Not They're like, like gummy bears. I mean, they, they have, bounce around. Kind of, yeah, yeah, here and there and everywhere. Yeah. yeah, I think gummy bears were inspired by real life cannonballs and the wreckage <laughs> they created. There was somebody who, somebody who was fighting in the Revolutionary War, maybe the Civil War, saw a, a cannonball bouncing. And as it flew towards him, mm-hmm. right before unconsciousness, consciousness, he said, what if that was a bear who gains magic bouncing <laughs> powers from berries that it ate or perhaps a juice that it got from the berries and it lives yeah. in a kind of vaguely middle European like uh, like medieval world with humans and then this cannonball hit him and that idea was lost for a hundred years <laughs> sure. until the until, Disney afternoon came along. Yeah, until uh, the Disney afternoon found a mosquito with that guy's DNA <laughs> stuffed up it. <laughs> they injected it into their programming manager. And he said, I got a great idea. Wow, we really worked backwards <laughs> for this one. Yep. Oh, man. That's We're how you have smart. to be. Now, where did Tailspin yeah. come from then? Dan, where did Tailspin come from? Uh, someone saw... Someone saw the Jungle Book and yes. Casablanca on the same night, and they had a fucking fever of 106 Au degrees. Oh, contraire, Dan. And I would say they saw the Jungle Book and only angels have wings on the same night. That's probably more accurate. 
since that's the movie I think it was based on. But where's that like Bobcat? Whoa, Dan looks like such a piece of shit now. You asshole. You must you might as well be as good as a shark. I think you're terrible. <laughs> Take your glasses off so we can poke you in the eyes. <laughs> you might like it. You're not a shark. Uh, anyway, so the, this, that guy, that old man, it's like you just imagine he turned off the they turn off the camera. And he's like, I mean it. Sharks can go fuck themselves. You tell that shark he's a fucking asshole. I like that the old you know who else? Listen. Serial killers. I don't like them. I think they're terrible. <laughs> I like that the uh, the old man's probably listening to our podcast, and every once in a while he's like, oh, I'm glad they're not razzing me anymore. <laughs> then we just bring then it right back to him, stick back. the pins in. Dear Flophouse, I've loved your podcast, but I never thought you'd get around to making fun of me, a World War II veteran <laughs> who survived a boat, cra- boat sinking and sharks. Love your podcast. <laughs> rah, rah, signed this old man. So anyway, you think the movie has to be over. It's over. Everything's done. Mm-hmm. No, 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 Enter a shadowy Washington chamber. As Shia LaBeouf would say, no, 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 no. Because even though the war's over, too many people died in the wreck of the USS Indianapolis for there not to be an investigation. They need a patsy. That patsy, none other than Captain Nicholas Cage. USS Naptown. USS Naptown. As it's called, the Naptown Disaster. <laughs> and, and the headlines were like, who was napping at the USS Naptown switch? But uh, the but they decide they're going to they're gonna accuse him of being derelict of duty, when really the problem was that it wasn't given a proper escort yeah. to protect it from submarines. He gets court-martialed, even bringing in as a surprise witness the commander of the Japanese submarine to come in and say, oh, no, I used missiles that he wouldn't have been able to dodge. The, 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 the case rests on the idea that he didn't zigzag his ship to avoid a torpedo because he thought they were kaitans, which you can't avoid by zigzagging. This guy says, no, no, I used the real torpedoes, not the kaitans. Zigzagging would not have saved him, but they need a patsy. He's found guilty and court-martialed. I thought he said that zigzagging would have saved them. No, he says zigzagging wouldn't have saved them because he was too close. Yeah. Oh, okay. He was exon- his evidence should have exonerated Nicholas Cage. Cage. But instead, oh. they need they need this patsy. Oh, right. So, mm-hmm. much like Abfab doesn't work without patsy. Mm-hmm. It's just Adina. I was really trying to think of a patsy in 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 culture and That's the uh, only one I could think yeah. of. Yeah. Yep. Uh, but we got but steam shooting out of Dan's ears right now. But it's a yeah. serious thing. Who's gonna go see a show called Adina? Mm. It's gotta be the two of them. Abfab, you yeah. know, funky cold Adina. <laughs> uh, that was that's how they got the idea for the show. They were listening to that song and they were like, "What if that name didn't have an M at the beginning?" Of it? <laughs> <laughs> it's an alternate history. It's an alternate <laughs> yeah, history. Harry show. Turtle Doves alternate Abfab. Uh, so anyway. Uh, Nicholas Cage is found guilty against all odds. He has a, a one-on-one face-to-face with the Japanese commander, in which they both kind of forgive each other for the yep. crimes they committed, even if they can't forgive themselves. And it rivals the scene in Godzilla Final Wars when Godzilla forgives America for dropping the atomic bomb in its accurate portrayal of human emotions <laughs> yep. and the true aftermath of war. Nicholas Cage is horrified. He goes home and, of course, has a- other After recourse. kissing his... Much younger wife. Oh, yeah. He also he has a wife who appears to be his daughter. There's a part where he wakes up from a nightmare, and his wife is in bed with him, and is like, it's okay. And for a moment, I thought that his daughter had crawled into bed with him because there was a thunderstorm outside, and she was scared. Yeah, yeah. The two, well, she was trying to comfort her old man uh, who was having, uh, what, night terrors. Yeah, I thought it was like the scene in uh, little in Tiny Furniture when Lena Dunham crawls into her mom's bed and gives her mom a back rub, but with a— 
Nicolas Cage and his daughter. Yeah. Because it's a much weirder scene. Oh, look, yeah, here's it's the thing I've always weirder. wondered about. I kind of envy that intimacy that mothers and daughters can have that they can do that. Because mm-hmm. if my dad was lying in bed and wasn't feeling well, like emotionally, and I just crawled into bed and gave him a back rub, <laughs> I would find that weird. And yep. it shouldn't be weird because I love him the same way that people love their mothers. It would be weird because mothers. of the, the spontaneous erections. I mean, that goes without saying that we'd get those <laughs> well, because for men we wouldn't talk yeah, about as it. As opposed to planned erections. <laughs> <laughs> Look, yeah, yeah, let's yeah. pencil in this erection for uh, an hour later because I have this call I have to make. Yeah. You guys don't schedule your erections? Uh, I mean, I guess that there are Dan's people not out married there anymore, do, and he doesn't have to. <laughs> they do. <laughs> people who use uh, Viagra, I guess, schedule their erections. Yeah, so it's, they schedule. Uh, they block out four hours just in case. Yeah. If it goes longer than that, they either see a doctor or go back around about their business. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I guess. So anyway, what I'm saying is, how come men and dads can't be like that close and intimate? You know, mm-hmm. what's wrong with that? Because let me tell you, just knowing the way I feel about my son, Sammy, now uh-huh. I'm, when I'm older. Mm-hmm. If he wants to give me a back rub, please do, Sammy. If you're listening yeah. to this, just come, come along and help my back feel better. I don't I really think, needed that. Thank you, Sammy. I don't think the problem lies with the dad <laughs> <laughs> in that situation. It's probably all the bullshit that the son places upon the dad. Maybe. I mean, if I crawled into my dad's bed with him and gave him a back rub, my dad would be weirded out. I think he would think Maybe it was weird. Maybe you're just placing that on your Yeah, dad. give it a try. Okay, yeah, I'll try it next dude. time. That's what I'll do. Go See nuts. what happens, and maybe, you know, one thing will lead to another. And uh, <laughs> Your relationship will be mended. <laughs> yeah, yeah, mended. That's how that usually ends. Um, I wonder, how does it end when a guy has sex with his dad? Well, is that a positive addition to a relationship? We should uh, ask Oedipus. That's what <laughs> happened, right? Uh, I don't think that's entirely the, na- the nature of the story that we're... That uh, I recall. Was there a shark yeah. in it? Was there, there a shark in it? There was a, yeah, there was a street shark in it. There was a street, which one? Blades? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> big <Definitely>. Slamu. <laughs> Definitely Big Slamu. <laughs> oh, yeah. I think Man, when big, I said Big I Slamu, I, Dan's eyes brightened. I, <laughs> I think it was Big Slamu who warned Oedipus not to investigate the death of the king <laughs> because he wouldn't like where it was led. But I think it was he had became king of Thebes because he solved the riddle of blades. <laughs> the answer was blades. <laughs> a lot of people don't know that uh, <laughs> that uh, that uh, it was Sophocles who wrote uh, Oedipus, right? <laughs> yeah. uh, the Oedipus Rex that uh, he originally started as a staff writer on Street Sharks <laughs> before uh, making it big on the Greek dramatic stage. Uh, I can't wait till Vin Diesel writes his um, hate mail that we fucked up <laughs> our Street Sharks shit. <laughs> It was. I mean, there's a lo- there's a long collection between the great great Greek and animated cartoons ever since Aeschylus was killed by an eagle dropping a ninja turtle on his head. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that joke pulls in so many different threads. Yeah, and I haven't even gotten started about Euripides' great masterwork, Cowboys of Moo Mesa. <laughs> <laughs> yep, and Aristophanes is of course biker mice from Mars, the birds. Uh-huh. That's that's funny. Wow. I would assume that Aristophanes would write battle toads. <laughs> oh, because he wrote the frogs. Damn it! I should have oh, said he wrote God, battle I can't frogs. I got Elliot on that shit. Oh. I can fucking die now. Um, speaking of dying now, speaking of dying Nicholas now, Cage. Nicholas Cage, seeing no way to save his honor otherwise, shoots himself in the head. We then cut to some credits that explain uh, that. Uh, we cut to a a shot of a. 
picture of Nicolas Cage wearing an admiral's hat, oh. which is a prop that I would very much like to own. <laughs> That's right. They hang up this in memoriam I guess photo a captain's of him. Hat. But it's yeah, it, this this photo, it, the look on Nicolas Cage's face, and what I assume is supposed to be like a portrait photo that his character sat for. He looks shocked to be in a frame <laughs> on a wall, like. Wait, what? Like the like the picture is on its guard at all times. So I'm assuming I'm talking to you, Mr. Mario Van Peebles. Please mail it to the Flophouse care of Dan McCoy so that I can put it on my wall. Oh, it would be oh, that would man. definitely go up on the wall in Hinterlands. Oh right? my god, it's fucking awesome. Yeah. So somebody be, you can't put it in Hinterlands. Yeah. That'd be stolen the first weekend. <laughs> yep. That's true. That's true. Yep, it would be uh stolen and then I'd have to get Danny Houston on the case <laughs> with his hat. Mm-hmm. It's a stolen reference, everybody. Yeah. Uh, we just watched it recently. It's why we're on our, it's on our minds. So we get some title cards that tell us a little bit about what happened to everybody. Eventually, the captain was exonerated by President Bill Clinton in the 1990s. Uh, and other, and then there's a couple shots where it shows you Bill the, Slick Willie Clinton, right, Elliot? Mm-hmm, he probably was just doing. He's like, oh, everybody's talking about my blowjobs. I better <clears throat> exonerate this long dead World War II captain. That'll oh, distract him. That'll change the news cycle. <laughs> I'll gladly eat a hamburger today and pay you tomorrow with an exoneration. <laughs> is, <laughs> Does is that wimpy? what President Clinton would do? <laughs> He'd wander into hamburger shacks? Like, oh, well, I'm not going to pay you for this hamburger, but if you need to be exonerated uh, from a crime, I'll do that later. So I guess I'm telling you, go commit a crime right now. If a burger's good, two crimes. Give me two burgers, I think maybe my, three crimes. I think the problem with my uh, impression was that I wasn't doing the hand motions. I think yeah. that's what gives you the power. I did not pay for that hamburger later. I, I was doing the hand soon. motions. Oh, wow. <laughs> President Bill Clinton, what are you doing here? Just exonerating a World War II captain for in exchange for a hamburger. Oh, wow. A hamburger. <laughs> wow. Uh, Hamburglar, what are you doing here? Robble, robble. I wanted to steal the president's hamburger. Oh, oddly lucid for a moment. <laughs> what if that I'll, was the... What was the... I'll pardon you, Hamburglar. Now, now I want to see a parody of the movie Absolute Power, where instead of Clint Eastwood being a thief who breaks into... A place uh, sees a breaks into a place and sees the president killing a prostitute. He is the hamburger who's trying to break into the White House kitchen to steal the president's hamburger. Mm-hmm. And it shouldn't be called absolute power. It should be called the president's hamburger. <laughs> and you know who's going to play the hamburger? Tom Jane. No. And you know who's going to play the president? John Cusack. John Cusack. And you know who's going to play the Secret Service agent who's got to track down the hamburger? Got to be Nicholas Cage. Nicholas Cage. Why wasn't uh, Why wasn't Absolute Power called the President's a Murderer? <laughs> <laughs> exclamation <laughs> point. <laughs> Question mark. Exclamation point. If it point. was made in like the '60s or '70s, that's totally what it would have been called. Oh, definitely. Instead, it was made in the '90s when generic titles ruled the day. Hey, unlike you know, now, you know the movie Executive Decision. What was that about? Uh, someone made a decision. Executively, it doesn't have anything to. As I said before, it looks like there's a katana blade on that cover, and it's not. <laughs> it's part of the stealth bomber. Mm-hmm. Hey, here's a movie where Hugh, <laughs> Hugh Grant has discovered that Gene Hackman is experimenting on homeless people. Let's call it Extreme Measures. What What does that have to do with anything? You should call it like Homeless Doctor or something like that, or like someone I mean, is stealing our ho- positive. hobos. <laughs> yeah, Extreme Measures all sound like he's doing a good job. No, I mean. A homeless, oh, homeless, doctor? A homeless doctor sounds like a good guy. I guess that's just kind of with honors with Joe Pesci. Yeah. Whenever I think of executive decision now, I can't think of anything other than you making brutal fun of your brother. 
about executive decision, about his anecdote about executive decision. I don't even remember what his anecdote was. Was it just that he saw it? It was like he like he was like calling it. It was like a major motion picture or something like that. And like <laughs> you were taking exception about that and to the phrase major motion. Picture. Yeah, I love that. This is the one thing Dan thinks of when we talk about executive decision, and he doesn't remember it correctly. <laughs> yeah, I remember Maybe it. There's. Uh, Kurt Russell and Steven Seagal, right? No, I'm talking about the the, the moment, anecdote. the anecdote. Oh, I don't remember anyway, it. Wait, let me. I'm gonna call an audible because this is boring. Yeah, we're, okay. we're all getting brown cards, which means too boring to be on the field. Okay, right. so this movie ends with a little with those interview segments we mentioned before. The old man saying he thinks sharks are terrible, <laughs> yeah, and that you should punch him in the eye. And then at that point. I was so drained by this movie. Like, it felt like I had spent all that time lying in a raft staring at the sun. Uh-huh. And it was like, movie, this should be an exciting story or a suspenseful story or thrilling. Like, how can, how it, maybe some things are just only cut out to be monologues. Maybe they don't m- need to be movies, you know? I, maybe not everything's a Spalding Gray where it can be a monologue that gets turned into a movie. I mean, I. I mean, I maybe it's wanna, a vagina monologue, which I is just a play, monologue. I don't want to play Monday morning quarterback here, but I think there's probably a way that you could have made a exciting story movie out mm, of this story. I don't know. Tell me a way to make an exciting story. It's an exciting movie out of a story about a ship that gets blown up and then sharks eat everybody. <laughs> that doesn't sound exciting to me. A ship delivering the atomic bomb that gets blown up, possibly with torpedoes featuring dudes driving them. Mm hmm. And then sharks are involved. That's crazy. I guess what I would do is, I was about to say, I would make it so that they get attacked on their way to delivering the atomic bomb instead of coming back, except then what? You can't make a movie where the ship carrying the atomic bomb sinks because that didn't happen. Yeah. Much the same way that one of my big issues with X-Men First Class is that the implications that the Cuban Missile Crisis took place because of mutants which doesn't square with the historical <laughs> record. In I mean, our universe, the there, there with, are no mutants, and yet we did have a Cuban Missile Crisis. But that's the problem with any time they put, like, magical heroes in different time periods. Like, the idea that the most recent ta- uh, Transformers movie features Transformers through the ages, and you're like, so I guess Transformers aren't good enough to stop the fucking Holocaust? <laughs> well, I mean, to be fair from the Transformers' point of view, why would they care? All they all they want to do is turn into different types of cars. Why do they care what happens? I mean, to I think you're missing some fundamental elements of the Transformers movies and how the, the Autobots kind of help well, and now, work with humanity. Don't say it because now Michael Bay is just going to make a World War II one where the Decepticons are helping the Nazis. But I, I think the new Transformers movie features footage of that type of shit. Oh, really? Yeah, because yeah. it starts with them like fighting in the fucking King Arthur times. Yeah, I I haven't seen the new Transformers movie, but how do they justify the fact that no one has been like, Oh, there's been giant robots forever. <laughs> that turn into cars. Yeah. Uh, a thing that we don't have yet. Like, it's uh, it's one of those things where... That's just a bridge too far. I can accept that there are transforming car aliens in the modern day. Well, if you ask me... It's just one of those things where it's like, if you ask me to believe that they've existed throughout history, you I have to believe that, one, the story would have gotten out by this point, or two, it would have changed history. And so, the idea that, like, hmm... Like like you're saying. Maybe it did. Like you're saying, you know what wouldn't change history? Giant transforming robots with laser beams that have been here for a thousand years? Like, come on. What and, were they transforming into before? Well, dinosaurs were age of right. extinction. But after a while, people would be like, that's a fucking dinosaur. Yeah. And that's a dino robot. Oh, yeah. Maybe they're turning into, like, castles. Yeah, that is kind of weird that the Dinobots still look like robots and not dinosaurs, yeah. right? Uh, well, there's only so... F- I mean, 
dinosaurs aren't made of metal. That's the big thing. You can I, turn into a car and look like a car because a car is made out of metal. I mean, couldn't they have like a paint job that looks like dinosaur scales? Maybe they just buy a latex suit mm-hmm. with, with yeah. scales on it. I've or seen they some just really get like con- some airbrushing on the side of it. I've seen some pretty convincing auto wraps. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, can they get one of those guys who does those like Trump Loy chalk drawings that look like they're 3D and photographs and have him draw on them? Yeah, what? Come on, Transformers. Or here's what you do every year. Sports Illustrated hires airbrush painters to paint bikinis onto naked women uh-huh. so that they can put them in magazines. Just do that on the Transformers. Paint a bunch of bikinis on them, and they'll look like real bikinis. <laughs> that'll be the uh, disguise that they need to and move the, freely among the the bikini girls. Like, Yoo-hoo, I'm just a lady. Mm-hmm. And then some guy will be like, hubba hubba, and he's arranging his bow tie. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going to hit on this chick, and he doesn't seem to notice that she that she's 30 feet tall and a robot. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, I had a real problem on my date last night. What happened? You take her out in your car? Guys, she was the car. <laughs> Basically, the, 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 the hotel usher from uh, Some Like It Hot, but, yeah. but he's dating a Transformer. <laughs> I love that because in every movie, there's always the one guy who can't tell that the woman is obviously a man or a gremlin or an animal or a, a robot Dude, and falls I in love with them. I don't like the idea that you're inferring that Robert Picardo's character. Yeah, okay, implying that Robert Picardo's character doesn't realize the lady gremlin is a fucking gremlin. I think that's part of it for him. Okay, fair point. Yeah, fair point. And I get it, dude. <laughs> he's, he's like... See the power in those paws? Oh, well, she, she's she got she'll amazing calves. fucking break his crank off. Like the calves and the calves and that lady gremlin? You have to imagine that he's like, at the end when he's like, well, and he gives in to her, that he's also like, well... I'm going to be the first at something. <laughs> that really was the... I got to believe no one... Do- I got to believe Hoyt Axton didn't fuck a gremlin. <laughs> that really was the nobody's perfect of the modern era. <laughs> the him, ending of that. Him acquiescing to having sex with a gremlin. Shrugging as the lady gremlin came predatorily towards him. Yeah. Smooching all the way. Yeah. And then it writes the end on the screen. <laughs> what a great movie. Oh, God. That's awesome. I'm just going to say it. Here's my hot take, guys. Gremlins 2 is everything some like it hot is not. (laughs) Billy Wilder, I love you, but go take a lesson from Joe Dante. Uh, So anyway, USS Indianapolis, Men of Courage. We should do the final judgments on this movie, whether it was a good, bad movie, a bad, bad movie, or a movie we kind of liked. I'm going to go first. I'm going to say that if this movie had been 90 minutes long, it might have been a good bad movie because there was so much like crazy CGI. We we cannot overstate how cheap this movie looks. Yeah. It looks so super cheap. And not in a not in the there's like the kind of cheap where it's like primer and it's like I'm impressed they were able to make this for like eight thousand dollars. You know, like oh Peter Jackson made all those uh, masks in his mom's oven. That's why their heads look weird. Yeah, exactly. But then there's the cheap where it's like, you guys had the money to do better. You didn't need to show us every single ship in CGI. Like, just put a model in a bathtub and it would look better than this. But, Dan, you were saying. No, I just, uh, yeah, that's all I wanted to say about it. It it it, uh, it moves so slowly. The middle section is just people in the water. Then they get killed in the water. Then they're in the water some more. Then someone gets pulled out of a, a raft. You know, it's just over and over again shark deaths and that might be true to life it may actually give us a sense of how grueling it must have been to be one of those men out in the water 
but it does not make for a compelling film to uh, just sort of repeat the same thing over and over again. So I would say it's a bad, bad movie. It's I would say bad, bad. It's so slow and so dull. I would say if someone wants to cut together like a YouTube video that's just the CGI scenes, go ahead and watch it. But otherwise, like we're never made to care about any of the characters. They're all super one-dimensional, cartoony even, and the movie is just so slow and so bogged down. And by the time it gets to the court-martial scenes, you're like, movie, over. Movie, be over. Movie, yeah. movie, be over. Shut down. Stop it, movie. Mm-hmm. Stop it. Stop it. We know you're doing it, movie. Now stop it. That's what John Oliver mm-hmm. was watching. Yeah. So I call it bad, bad movie. So, you know, first off, I, I don't think I'm speaking for my co-host here, but I want to say the events uh, depicted in this movie were a tragedy, and we would thank everybody involved for their service. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You don't speak for me. <laughs> Stuart, trying to get in the extra credit points. Uh, but no, this is a bad, bad movie. Uh, it It's grueling, but I think there's a way to make a grueling experience uh, meaningful by making you actually care about the people involved before it begins to happen. Uh, yeah, it's just... and And the idea of... Showing the entire story uh, by including the court-martial sequence, I don't feel necessarily adds anything to the story. No, I agree. The uh, the it unless you're going to shorten everything else before it, and but it's eh, it like it hurts because it's disappointing partly because like there is a really good movie that's just people in a boat in open water for the whole movie, and that's Lifeboat, and it's like oh that's right. I mean dead calm. Uh, maybe I guess yeah too, but like it's or knife in the water is just people in a boat, you know. But that uh, lifeboat is so close to this, and I guess I'm. This is hardly an insult to Marrow Van Peebles to say that he is not Alfred Hitchcock when it comes to directing. Uh, and it's it's trouble to ask anyone to live up to Hitchcock standard. But it's like if you feel like watching this, just go watch Lifeboat and and pretend that the lead guy is Nicolas Cage. <laughs> Hello, Sean David Johnson. What's going on? I think a friend of mine may have chronic pop culture deficiency syndrome. Oh no, PCDS? What are the symptoms? Well, she doesn't know Wakanda from Westeros. Shameful. And she keeps confusing Aziz Ansari and Riz Ahmed. Oh my gosh, so sad. Kind of racist too, but what did you tell her to do? I told her to listen to our podcast, Inside Pop, of course. Fantastic idea. A weekly dose of Inside Pop will help anyone discover the best in TV, film, and music. Suffer from PCDS no more. Inside Pop has you covered every Wednesday on Max Fun. How many times has this happened to you? Oh man, if only I knew whether it was better to be too hot or too cold, or who the best James Bond was, that girl would have gone out with me. Now you can with We Got This With Mark and Hal, the podcast from MaximumFun.org every Tuesday. Hey, Lois, it's Joey. The best James Bond was Daniel Craig, and it's better to be too cold than too hot. Thanks, We Got This With Mark and Hal. Only on MaximumFun.org, or wherever you get fine podcasts. Uh, but the flop house is supported in part tonight by Squarespace. Make your next move with Squarespace. Create a beautiful website with Squarespace's award-winning templates and all-in-one platform. There's nothing to ever install, patch, or upgrade. Wait, Dan, hold on a second. So you're saying mm-hmm. I don't have to like download a bunch of weird programs that I don't really understand 
and then download mm-hmm. new programs to fix the bugs in those programs, and then download some other thing, and it turns out it's Russian malware, and but now I've got a zombie computer. The thing is, Elliot, each program you download makes you smarter and smarter, like Job from Lawnmower Man. But my head can only hold so much, like Johnny Mnemonic from Johnny Mnemonic. So what, what should we do, Dan? How do we uh, make our website? Without sh- downloading all that stuff. Look, Flowers for Algernon, you'll be fine. Okay. Your brain can stay the normal size. Oh, thank goodness. Uh, and you his don't... name was Charlie. <laughs> yeah, I know his name was Charlie. I'm just... The just... mouse was named Charlie? No, the f- mouse was named Algernon. Then... Because he was named after Algernon Blackwood. Oh, okay. The weird fiction author. Uh, so Squarespace, Dan. Yeah. You're saying that Stay this could be the answer. Topic. Because, Dan, you know what? It's been okay. a while since I talked about one of my website answers. All right. <laughs> but I, there's, a, I, there's a website that I... We talked about something earlier that really reminded me of it. Uh-huh. Uh, and I don't want to, you know what? I don't want to take time away from Squarespace, but I wonder if they could help me actually mm-hmm. is I've been, there's a website I've been talking about. Sure. I'm thinking about a lot. I've got some investors lined up and it's oh, called okay. numanus.org. Okay. Now it's the only website where you can, it's your place on the web for numb anuses, you know, where it's like you've got ice in your butt maybe, mm-hmm. or maybe you're full of Novocaine yeah. in your butt. I don't know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We're going to find out when you, we flesh it out on the site. There's sure. going to be videos, out, there's going to be quizzes, there's going to be like tips and tricks mm-hmm. from the pros. And so not for profit. Not at all for profit. This is a public service mm-hmm. in a very, very underserved demographic. Well, Those who have yeah. a need for information, tips, tricks, hints, videos, vlogging, and insight about numb anuses. So oh, do you cool. think that they could help me with www.numanus.org? Yeah, Dan. Uh, as much as they may not like to, they could definitely help you do that. Now, uh, I want people to be able to look at this on their phones, like if they're on a train. I mean, that's the only time I ever look at numb anuses. Like, if, like, I don't want people to be just stuck looking at it on their house. I want it to be looked at in public places, too. It's does 21st it, century, dude. Does it scale to mobile devices? <laughs> it scales to all kinds of devices. Your iPhone, your iPad. Yeah, maybe your... you want to switch from your phone to your iPad. Mm-hmm. Oh, all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, and, but, like, do I need to know how to code? Because I don't mm-hmm. know how to code. I just know that there's a lot of people out there who need help numbing their butts you don't need to know how to code at all squarespace has beautiful templates that help you no matter your experience level very low in my case now is there 24 7 tech support there is in fact 24 7 customer support so let's run through a scenario okay so (laughs) you need to code to numb your chode (laughs) i mean it's numb chode would be a different site yes uh now dan let's run through a little scenario so okay you'll be tech support at squarespace hi tech support this is elliot i have a question Hello, Elliot. Now, I am having trouble with the template for my website, www.numanus.org, your place online for numbing anuses and butts that can't feel things. That sounds like a service that many people would enjoy. Thank you for being non-judgmental about that, Squarespace. You can help me with my problem? I will help you right away, sir. Wow, that was great. What a, that was a wonderful experience. Thank you, Squarespace. Thank you, Elliot Kalin, owner of numanuses.org. Well, it's numanus.org. I better register them both. (laughs) So, Dan, what else about Squarespace? Uh, For a free trial and 10% off your first purchase, visit squarespace.com slash flop. But we're also sponsored in part tonight by Casper, uh, an online retailer of premium premium mattresses for a fraction of the price. Casper mattresses uh, feature supportive memory foam for a sleep surface that's got just the right sink and just the right bounce. Risk-free, uh, sorry, pardon me. Risk-free trial and return policy. Yep. Uh, for Casper mattresses, try sleeping on a Casper for ten. Yeah. 
Get Sorry. that get that mattress you know all nasty, what? sleep on it for Dude, a while, send it back. I've been Dan, sleeping sleep on a Casper mattress. I mean, talk from the heart about your sleeping. Look, I love a Casper mattress. I sleep on one every night. Uh-huh. Um, what does it feel like? Describe it. Paint us a word picture about the texture. The well, support. it's got just the right sink and just the right bounce. I know that about it. Mm. Hey, that doesn't really feel like it came from your heart. Come on, when you line... Okay, let's paint a word picture. Okay. Dan has just gotten home from work. Yep. Ooh, mm-hmm. And he eats dinner. Yeah. Oh, I'm so tired. Slip on that sleep apnea mask. Just goes to his TiVo, plays whatever porn he's recorded. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Uh, not luckily, to luckly just yours, a critique for I his mean, website. So your sleep Dan's, apnea mask reaches dirty to the reviews. couch. The what? He, his sleep apnea mask reaches the couch. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Now, as he, he's watching the porn with his sleep apnea mask on, and he says, you know what? I don't want to sleep on the couch tonight. I want to sleep on my mattress because it's super comfortable. And you, you wheel what I assume is a very... Uh, cumbersome sleep apnea mechanism mm-hmm. into your room uh, the size you, of like an ENIAC computer. Yep, it's you, actually you a very shoe, sleek little machine. You shoe Archie <laughs> off of the bed. You okay. sh- and you and you finally you sit down on that Casper mattress and then you lay down. And what does it feel like? Talk about the relief that you are feel. You, uh, are you a back sleeper or a tummy sleeper? Or on I'm the a, side. I'm a back sleeper uh, most of the time. A uh-huh. side sleeper like 25% of the time. Mm-hmm. So you're that 25%. Would you consider yourself to be like a little spoon or a big spoon? Uh, I would consider myself to be a big spoon. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Like a ladle? Like, a, yeah, some sort of a ladle or a serving spoon, perhaps. Like a wooden spoon you can spank someone with or you mm-hmm. can, someone can bite down so they don't just swallow their own tongue? Sure. Certainly the first one. Okay. A ladle. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So Dan Ladle... He lies down and he's like, ah, Casper Mattress, thank you for providing comfort mm-hmm. and support at a very low price. Yeah, yeah. you can say, wow. I'm dreaming. You might the- even be like, wow, <laughs> a Casper Mattress. This is so great. Wow. <laughs> yeah. The disappointment in Dan's face when he looks at Elliot, it's amazing. It's like. That was so so much disdain. (laughs) Listeners, you can't imagine the disdain in Dan's face. It's like. The fact that Elliot was able to finish the joke. (laughs) Have you you ever seen in a cartoon comic where someone is staring literal daggers at someone? It was like he didn't even want to. He didn't even. So disdainful, he didn't even want to use the energy to hurl daggers out of his eyes at me. But I could feel him. All right. Casper uh, mattress. So Casper mattresses. Is there a co- product code? I uh, just want to try one more time to say what I wanted to say before, which is you can try sleeping on a Casper for 100 days with free delivery to the U.S. and Canada and painless returns. All mattresses made in America. Flophouse listeners can get $50 towards any mattress purchase by visiting www.casper.com slash flophouse and using promo code flophouse, all one word, at checkout. Terms and conditions apply. Don't they always? <laughs> We've got some jumbotrons as well. Jumbotrons. Jumbotrons. Hey I'm going to jump onto this one. Uh, thanks for giving me another shot after last week's mishap. This message is for Casey. The message is from Nate. And the preferred time frame is next available. (laughs) (laughs) You don't need to specify that, but go on. Uh, Happy birthday, Casey. You are so talented, creative, and funny. I feel really lucky to have you in my life and look forward to many more years together. From your sort of romantic boyfriend, 
crazy smiley face. Nate. That's very sweet. Yeah. I've got another sweet one. Uh, this message is from Rosie B and Chris C. Uh, they both, it's just their first initials, so I assume they're Spice Girls. Yep. And the message is, the message is for Rosie B and Chris C, and the message is from Charlene the Blade of Honor. And Charlene says, congrats on your upcoming nuptials. Rosie's butt will soon be heavily desired by Dan. I hope you both like this message read by your favorite podcast hosts, because I'm not getting you an actual wedding present. I love you both, and I think I speak for everyone when I say, don't get a divorce. They're expensive and sad. Love you guys. Yay. Very Two sweet. very nice messages. Yeah, congratulations, yeah. Rosie B. and Christy. They even pulled Dan into that message. I like that. Because mm-hmm, yeah. Dan loves wife butts. Mm-hmm. Now yeah. you're part of their narrative. DL Cool WB. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's your rap name. Um, But now it's time. Wait, Dan, we've got some things of our own. Oh, yeah, to you got to plug some things. We've got some things of our own to plug. So uh-huh. belay that because it's not time for singing yet. Just want to remind our Flophouse listeners of some special things we got coming up. For instance, we're going to be part of the Philly Podcast Podfest mm-hmm. in beautiful Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. So spit out your cheese steak and rush over to the Trocadero Theater and get in line. <laughs> or go to phillypodfest.com sure. uh, where you can buy tickets. It's going to be Sunday, July 16th, same day as my aunt's birthday party. So, yes, I will be rushing from my aunt's birthday party to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania to be there. And Dan I'll Stewart. be worried the whole time about whether he'll be there in time. Mm-hmm. It'll mean, be we'll, a race against the clock, a real nick of time starring Johnny and, Depp. And the whole time I'll be hoping that we can just have Sydney. McElroy sitting in for Elliot. Mm. Anyway, the show is at 8 o'clock. Doors are at 7.30. Tickets, I believe, are still available. So go to phillypodfest.com or just, I guess, Google the Flophouse Philadelphia Podcast Festival. Uh-huh. And, and we're going to be that show, I think. I think it's time to hold Dan's feet to the fire. Uh-huh. What fucking movie are we going to talk about that movie? Uh, I believe we decided on watching The Great Wall. What's Whoa. so great about it? Great Wall. The Great Wall starring Matthew Demon. <laughs> <laughs> what? And an international <laughs> cast of stars. Uh, that's right. The movie The Great Wall, a U.S. a, a China co-production. And I'm very yeah. curious about it. Uh, we're going to be talking about that one. We're going to be having fun. We've never done a Philadelphia show before. No, we've never no. done it. And this is, uh, yeah, this is like literally weeks before uh, we mail Elliot off to Abu Dhabi. Uh, is that how it's going to happen? Uh, yeah, right? Yeah, it's going to be, uh, is that, uh, no, I think it's going to be like one of the last weeks, things we record together in person for a little bit. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, and it's two weeks before you move to L.A. It's a historic moment both for me we and keep America. Talking, uh, we keep bringing it up on the show, but it just makes us sad, that's all. Yeah, uh, so... If you're in Philadelphia or you're nearby, you want to see us live recording an episode, go to phillypodfest.com and buy your tickets. That's July 16th, a Sunday. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that weekend. Yeah, it should be fun. Uh, Also, also, a lot of people of you have gotten these already, but maybe a lot of you haven't, and I think you're going to like them. The Flophouse Funnies comic book series. Oh, yeah. It's available at flophousepodcast.com slash comics. And... There's three short stories out now. We each wrote one. The theme was horror. Mm-hmm. And all proceeds go to the American Civil Liberties Union, which we need now more than ever yeah, because the, things aren't so good right now. They're kind of, I think in a way, they're kind of our like take on a uh, Tales from the Crypt style anthology comic. Yes. Um, and it's, I, I'm as, as a non-creative, it's an exciting opportunity to get to do some storytelling I think in a medium creative. that I love. 
and we're we have three stories out now and because of the support we've already received we're already planning three more stories on another theme on another theme that are already shaping up to be pretty great yeah and so if you haven't bought the issues uh please do you can donate anywhere from a dollar to infinite monies Mm -hmm. and that money goes to protecting our civil liberties and you get three very different stories that are all spookily good good (laughs) uh and that's all the that's all the flop house promotional stuff i believe that we have well that means that it's time for letters from listeners Listeners like you? Yes, that's right. Listeners like you. And the first letter... What's a listener like you like? I have to assume you're a person of some talent, charisma, looks, and attraction. Someone who has the whole world on a string. Somebody wraps the world around their finger. It's you, so write us a letter. A listener is someone who has a big heart, has a big brain, Maybe big thumbs, but that's not your problem. Just because it makes it harder to dial your iPhone. Because your thumbs are so big, you're hitting all the buttons. Doesn't mean you have to stop from writing us a letter. A listener like you can get around the fact that they have such big thumbs. Shouldn't be something that causes you trouble. Get out that big thumb. Make your anus numb. Write us a letter from a listener like you. All right. Oh, wow. I was able to tie in my new website. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty good. Uh, Dan's sending himself a text message. Yeah. It says, erase this episode. <laughs> he says, note to self, go back in time, kill Elliot's grandparents. Oh, wow. This first message is from Derek, last name withheld. I can't stop fucking saying, oh, wow, by the way. <laughs> Once it gets in your system. I'm going to have to go to a doctor. It's a real earworm. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. We put a worm in my ear. Wow. Con. Wow. (laughs) Derek, last name withheld, writes, with all the notable celebrity deaths. Derek? Yeah, Derek. Yeah, like an oil Derek. Mm -hmm. With all the notable. Like Derek Jacoby. Yeah. Yeah, or Derek Jacoby. You think it's Derek Jacoby? Could it be Derek Jacoby? It's probably Derek Jacoby. Okay. Just read the letter. Is it Derek Chirino, who I went to elementary school with? Uh, name dropper mm-hmm. <laughs> with all the with all the notable celebrity deaths in 2016 a friend of mine proposed drafting a list of celebrities that we would be most upset about dying after a round of forgettable picks we quickly started taking people whose deaths would most directly affect our day-to-day lives rather than people we had a fondness for because we're selfish dicks notably we chose people with unfinished work who would leave us feeling unfulfilled if they shuffled off anytime soon I took George R. R. Martin in the third round, but I feel like I made a major steal in the fifth round when I selected one Elliot Kalin. My friend, <laughs> I mean, I, I compliment, flattered kind of, but also horrified. I feel so bad because then Dan would have to marry Danielle, and they would be the weirdest celebrity couple ever. Yeah, their celebrity name would just be Danielle, which is just my wife's name. <laughs> yeah, and uh, Dan, but, I think I mean, Sammy would eventually accept you as a stepdad. Maybe yeah. a little rough at first, but I think your shared love of Muppets and also uh, you can you can bake. I he think, likes that. Mm-hmm. I think he would He'd accept be me be- as a stepdad much faster than Danielle would upset me as a husband. <laughs> I think that's I think, very fair. I yes. think both of them would probably be put off by your, let's say, reduced amount of body hair. <laughs> <laughs> 
It is it is true, and this might be getting a little too personal, that my son likes to comment on the amount of fur that I have <laughs> and asks about if he's going to get fur and he just likes to uh, pet it sometimes. Uh, <laughs> like when weird. I'm reading him a when I'm reading him a book before bed, he'll just sound, before he goes to bed, not me. He doesn't tuck me in. When I'm reading him a book before bed, he'll sometimes just kind of be in for my now. arms, just, just kind of like for now. just kind of petting the hair on my arms. It's very sweet. Uh. Anyway, it's like his dad is a friendly bear. It's like he just gave me a gift, Elliot. <laughs> uh, Derek continues. Anyway, what celebrity's death would most greatly upset you if it happened in 2017? Also, do you have any plans to do a live show in Boston anytime soon? We'd love to see it. R-O-C-K in the USA. Sincerely, Derek, last name withheld. Um, not sure if we can do a Boston show. I'm worried that uh, the Beantown bad boy and his brother, the bad boy, would come beat us up. <laughs> Wait, which one is the Beantown bad boy? Casey? Casey Avalon, oh, yeah. okay. There's the Beantown bad boy and the Beantown bat boy? Yeah. Okay. Because he's a Batman. <laughs> he's I don't think, Batman. I'm surprised I have to explain this. <laughs> no, no, I just wasn't sure which one was the bad boy. Well, if, uh, I mean, apparently Elliot Kalen is a celebrity in this scenario, so Elliot, I would be the saddest Elliot if he died. would be <laughs> the one that I would choose to be saddest if... Uh, so first off... He passed away. Thank Derek, you, I appreciate thank that. Thank you for listening. It's a lovely letter. But this game is fucked up. Yeah, yeah. I would say, my. I was, I was thinking about this, and it was like, uh, all of them, any of them, like, I don't like it when people die, like, I don't want them to die. Sure, clearly there are people that I know personally that I'd be very upset about, but it's not like I never hear that a celebrity has died and I'm like, good. Like maybe when Bill Cosby passes, <laughs> that'd be more out of like the world is safer now. Like I don't, I, it's hard for me to think of a celebrity death where I, I'm, I, I'm just totally positive in favor. Yeah. I mean, fair enough. I think, I mean, <laughs> I think there's a lot of young celebrities that would be, I guess, more tragic. Oh, certainly if, like, Dakota Fanning died, that would be very tragic. You know? I, and I would be super sad, uh, although not surprised if, like, Weird Al passed away because I know he's, like, a super big drug addict. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> right? Isn't he, like, a super big heroin head? I don't believe so. That's what they call him, right? Yeah. Definitely if, like, um, <laughs> like, when... Uh, like, when Jimmy Stewart died, I remember being very upset. But, like, he was an old man. Certainly there's something more tragic to when a younger star passes. Well, But it's still always sad when someone dies. I mean, yeah, when, yeah, when I was thinking about this, but to play along with the very sick game for a moment. Okay, sure. When I was thinking about this, like, immediately, like, I sprung to people who were, like, important to me, like your David Burns or your Bill Murray's. But then I also, like, under the rubric that he, like, put out of, like, People who feel like they've got a lot of unfinished work to do in the world, mm-hmm. and like I would be upset because of that. I think that someone like the Cohen brothers, if they, if like one of them passed on, I guess uh, so. But and I'd the, be missing out on like years of work that they could do. The other thing I think of when I about when this comes to mind is that like I don't like seeing people die, but there are people that I want to outlive because they're older than me. Like when Bill Murray dies or someone like that. It'll make me sad because it's like, oh, I, I love a lot of his work. But at the same time, like, he's much older than me. Yeah. If I don't live to see Bill Murray die, I've died young. Like, a bus hit me or maybe an asteroid fell out of the sky and smushed me. Like, I would, as much as I don't want to see these people die, like, I want to live to see them die. Not out of vindictiveness, just because, like, i got a lot more living left to do, dude. Wow, They're a lot older than me. You're able to really approach your emotions intellectually. I, I have You're to. a pretty cool white dude on the internet. Oh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> I mean. uh, no, but I, I guess I'm I guess I'm with you. I mean, like, you can rationalize a lot of different things. And I think that like 
I think thinking about like missing a celebrity because of their effect on your life, i.e. they're not able to make things you like is kind of weird. No offense, Dan. I don't but, know if it, I mean, it's like, I can, I mean, I, it makes sense. I'm just like, going off of what this, Dan's uh, playing within the I'm rules. I'm playing within the rules no, that no, we're you, establishing. You and, me have, you and me have decided to not play by the rules. Dan's playing by the rules. We're going all Kobayashi Maru and we're <laughs> questioning the, the basic we situation. We rip the rules manual apart and we say, we're using these pieces how we want. Probably I'm going to pour, I'm gonna pour alcohol in the thimble and drink it and then spend the the Monopoly money wherever I want. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like there's also it's a Dan you and I are in a weird case yeah in that we have worked with a number of well-known people mm-hmm. and so there are people that we have like personal relationships with yeah and so it would be it's like does that person enter into it because these are people that I consider friends like I don't I would think say, of them as celebrities I would say you would remove them okay that's the these category. are in for this game this most dangerous game some might sure, say because yeah. you might hurt <laughs> someone's feelings uh-huh. uh, you it's only people who you admire from afar. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I mean, for actors, it would be like, I don't know, like, like you're like Ian McKellen's and stuff like mm-hmm. people that in addition to making work, I admire just in general, they seem to bring joy into the world. Uh-huh. Um, and they're also in the age bracket that I guess they could pass away and I wouldn't be. You wouldn't be shocked. Totally You'd shocked. Be I would just be sad. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Like Ian McKellen and Patrick Stewart. God, that would be horrible. Yeah. But at the same time, Stewart, I want you to live to see them die because they're much older than you. Thank you. I would much rather they pass before you than vice versa. The same way that like, I know, like. I mean, I think the idea is if they pass away this year, I think is part of the thing. Yeah, yeah, but I, whatever. That's the come on. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to live through the year, right? That's the well. Then I even more want them to die before you because it's <laughs> like that would be hard. That would be horrifically, horrifically tra- traumatizing to me if I was like you died next year, but Ian McCallum was still walking the earth, jogging around. He's bringing joy, but it's like, come on, dude. That that life belonged to Stuart. <laughs> yeah. Why do you have to hit Stuart with your car? <laughs> <laughs> well, how come when that one kidney was available, Ian McKellen, you just grabbed it right out the box? <laughs> you didn't even let Stuart get a chance. All right. This has gotten even weirder than I anticipated, so let's move on. Wait, Ian McKellen and Stuart gra- grappling over the one la- la- last kidney yeah. for their transplant? A true duel. Uh, this one is <laughs> I... <true> duel. <laughs> I apologize. I lost the name of whoever wrote this in, so sorry. So I guess let's just assume it's Ian McKellen. Ian McKellen. <laughs> Ian, last name withheld. Dear Floppers, I love your show. Please don't talk about me dying. Yeah. That kidney is mine. Yeah, the end. Ian the McKellen. doggone kidney is mine. <laughs> it changes that song a lot if they're arguing over the last transplant organ. Mm-hmm. Uh, this email goes like this. You guys mis- mentioned Constantine in the Mother's Day app. And I was reminded of Peter Stormare's wacky Lucifer in that movie. Yeah, he was great. I went on thinking and realized there's kind of a bunch of middle-aged famous actors who have played the devil in recent bad movies. I'm thinking Peter Fonda in Ghost Rider, Al Pacino in The Devil's Advocate, and Will Smith in Winter's Tale. Why is this? Is there an idea that playing literal Satan is a meaty role? Or is it an excuse to put in a totally campy performance? Alternatively, which current leading men can you see playing the devil 10 to 20 years from now? My money is on a super weird, super middle-aged Ryan Gosling. Love the show. Thanks for making me laugh awkwardly around strangers in my laundromat. Uh, laundromat? <clears throat> laundromat. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's the word. Uh, so, <laughs> of the ones you mentioned before, like, I, like 
the Peter Fonda performance and the Al Pacino performance are great. Will Smith, I think, is a good performance, but there's just like, and I know I think we praised it at the time, and I think it's a, an interesting choice, but I don't think Will Smith, though he has charisma in spades, does is not doesn't have the like darkness kind of. He plays a devil who it's hard to believe that devil being evil. If anything, he just seems like kind of an amoral wizard. I just realized that I said in spades, and was, that's totally fucking god damn it. I was it. hoping not to call attention to it. Because no, it was a call bad attention to it. Words. It's a stupid choice I of words. I didn't want to make you feel bad. No, I should feel mad. bad. I'm a dummy. Okay. So Stuart inadvertently used a racist word, but he didn't, didn't mean to. God damn it. So Dan, you'll edit that out, right? Uh, yeah. It's okay. You don't have to. Anyway, I'll fucking take my lumps. <laughs> uh, so. But Stuart meant well, everybody. Come on. He didn't know what he was doing. He's just a kid. Look at him. <laughs> yep. Google Gaga, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm Blaster from uh, Beyond Thunder. <laughs> and I'm Master just riding around on his back telling him what to do. <laughs> anyway, um, that was a Master. That was a Blaster impression that Stuart was doing. So uh, I was thinking about it, and um, I didn't actually uh, – I'm going to pull back the curtain for a second and say that Dan sent some of these questions to us ahead of time, but he didn't specify that we were talking about an act. Uh, for some reason, I got the impression from the letter that it was male, but from your question, I thought uh, Aubrey Plaza would be a really great. Oh, devil. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of what she played in Legion. Yeah. Spoiler alert, but she's great in that. Yeah. Um, she's fantastic. in it. Uh, and I think she's got both like the kind of darkness and the charisma. I could see that very I and think, the uniqueness and talent. I think she would play very much yeah, the nerve. kind and what? Uh charisma, uniqueness, nerve, and talent. Those are the four qualities that Reform, America's Reform. next drag superstar needs to have. Oh, I see. Oh, okay. I didn't realize that. Uh I was thinking there so there she would be make a great devil and she'd make a great charismatic devil. Now, here's something we see a lot of devils that are like super suave or super hammy or like they're like cool or sarcastic or whatever. Here's what I'd like to see in about 20 years. Shia LaBeouf. I'd like to see him playing kind of like playing kind of like a drained scene at all. Like exhausted devil, like not in a funny way, but in the way of like the devil does not take joy in the suffering of others, but it's the role he's got to play. And so he's driving people to their doom. He's a bad guy, but he's not like, Oh, somebody stop me, which I realize now is the mask, not the devil, but it's like a same thing. Elliot, when you think of the devil, do you just think of the mask? I mean, if I met the mask, I'd be like, you're the devil, aren't you? Like you seem like you have, you're you're wearing a goddamn zoot suit, like a cherry (laughs) Bob and Danny. And there's nothing more devilish than that. But the idea of like a, there's a moment in, um, in uh, the Megadeth song, Megadeth song uh, Prince of Darkness, sure. where he has this intro at the beginning where he's like, I'm more powerful than all the armies of the world. I'm so evil. Da, da. And then he goes, mm-hmm. and he sounds so tired in that moment. Like the devil has to put up this huge front. He is the most evil person in the universe, but like he is tired of it. He's been doing it for thousands of years. That's the Shia LaBeouf devil I want to see someday is like exhausted, still evil. He's still doing bad stuff. But there's no joy in it for him. He's just kind of like always got stubble and like kind of gone to seed and like is not he's not a he's not an attractive figure, you know, that evil as unattractive, you know. Uh, I know it's gonna be hard for Shia LaBeouf to play unattractive because he's a hunk. I have two answers. One is a young 
person, and one is someone that I'm surprised hasn't played the devil already. Yep. The Bill Zabub? Yeah. Because that's uh, certainly a devil name right there. Uh, I think that's a guy who directs, like, low-budget horror movies. I'm sure he yeah. does. I think, I think it'd be funny to see James Franco as sort of a sleepy, sort of a stoned devil. Okay. Like, yeah. kind like of a, a forgetful s- devil? A sly little devil. He hasn't done. He hasn't played the devil before? No. That's kind of weird. I think it'd be fun. And then I mean he kinda of played the devil when he co hosted the Oscars with Anne Hathaway. <laughs> he did play the devil. <laughs> <laughs> when he just like didn't give a shit and didn't do his job. <laughs> so weird, right? <laughs> if they had announced at the beginning, hosted by <coughs> Anne Hathaway and James Franco as the devil, I think people would be like, This makes sense. Okay, great. And he did all the exact same things. And then uh the older actor that I'm surprised hasn't played the devil yet is Gary Oldman. Oh, yeah. I could see that. I think he would be a good devil. He'd be a very good devil. He's played devilish characters before. No, I'm thinking of Viggo Mortensen. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, okay. Viggo Mortensen could do it too, I guess. But. I'm saying he hasn't played Viggo Mortensen either. <laughs> <laughs> he played Viggo Mortensen in that one movie. Uh, wait, wait, Gary Oldman plays Viggo Mortensen in East, in the making of Eastern Promises. <laughs> yeah. uh, this letter's from Kenneth, last name withheld. Anger. Mm-hmm. Who writes the frequency. <laughs> Guys, everyone asks me what the frequency is, but I don't know. Can you tell me? My question is simple. Someday I would like to be the life of at least one party. There are many other possibly more party-oriented podcasts I could express this motivation to, but as you three are my only imaginary friends, and sometimes I talk back to the podcast and pretend that I'm part of the conversation, I thought I'd ask you the simple question. Like this episode, just keep yelling, be better, be a better podcast. <laughs> Or just keep going, oh, wow, <laughs> yeah. the party, wow. What would make me fated to play the part of Bacchus in whatever party, celebration, festival, or fete the norms have, the Norns have chosen in my favor? Is it good looks? Well, as, don't as, talk about the Norns in front of people. <laughs> Is yeah, it, yeah. That, that's one way to not pluck your party strings. <laughs> <laughs> Is it good looks accentuated by a bow tie that spins when I pull a string? Is it an amusing trick played on my comrades using a plastic artifact which resembles a facial wound or possibly a chemical spill on the woodwork? What I need to wear is tech speedo for maximum effect. If, pray chance, this question stumps the panel of magnificent dude meat, mayhap the Flophouse house cat would, might weigh in on this heart-palpitating whist of mine. Flop Celsius, Kenneth last name withheld. Postscript, I would like to know what, if anything, lies under the carpet in the Radio Zork dungeon. It hasn't been yet examined. Wait, carpet? <laughs> the fuck is this? <laughs> You're outside a house looking at a door, dude. You know the doormat? I, th- I think he might be talking about the semi-canonical uh, future sequence we were talking about. Oh, oh, okay. I forgot about that. Get in the door, dude. Then we can talk about what's under the carpet. Yeah. So are we... And whether that carpet matches said Zork drapes. Ooh. We're helping him uh, How do you be, be the, the life, life of, of party? a party. Okay, so... Stuart, you're the life Stuart, of lots the, of parties. You're I, get, the I could to, tell a lot of jokes here, guys. You know, I'm full of them. I got a, I got a whole joke book yeah, full of jokes. Thousand and one party jokes. <laughs> uh, starring Stuart. <laughs> I would say uh, don't be afraid to uh, look like a moron. So don't be afraid to look silly. And make a point to ask people questions and practice active listening. Mm. I think those are like be able to do a little bit of small talk and be somewhat interesting and also not taking yourself too seriously, I think, are tricks. And you make a good point. And to be interested. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like actually make other people feel of value is super important. I, I, I don't want to talk to you. I suggest a trick called 
WWDND, which is what would Dan not do? <laughs> sure. This is good advice. <laughs> yeah. Coming from a man who Elliot, uh, he came to my birthday party and said, how is it that you're sitting alone at your own birthday party? <laughs> well, because Dan, here's, here's the thing. When you throw a birthday party, you yeah. kind of mingle and say hi to everybody. They're your friends. He, Dan had a very big turnout for his birthday party. Yeah. And yet... Like, uh, like he's you, you would think that he was like an, a dying old man and that uh-huh. he expected everyone to just come to him and bow at his feet and deliver him presents of gold and yeah, some, frankincense, like yeah. a fucking sultan of the east. Eventually, I got you, up from my ass, yeah, no, it's true. Eventually, I got up from my uh seat and so I mingled around. How it's did true. how did your friend Stefan? Giving you a, it was Stefan, yeah, Stefan, our uh, our buddy who went to school with us, gave gave you a. What a, a, a pinata! A pinata of you. Well, the character yeah. he used to do. Yes. Yeah, it was. It was so. It was so different than actual Dan. <laughs> <laughs> but he gave you a pinata of you. How did that affect your approach toward the party? Uh, it made me creeped out and uh, off put. Okay, so also, what would Stefan not do? <laughs> yeah, don't give the host of the party a pinata that looks sort of like them, but also looks like kind of a ghost of them, like mm-hmm. a, a featureless, uh, horrified simulacra of them. So, wait, so yeah, when you're breaking it open to get the sweet candy inside, it's like you're fighting your own soul yeah. to get candy, of all things. Mm-hmm. A, a scathing acting out of... The creative fight I assume you have with yourself all the time about selling out and doing a big TV show instead of following your dream of writing movies where women wear bikinis and their tops come off. Yeah, it's weird because instead of candy on the inside, it was filled with packets of mayonnaise and thumbtacks. (laughs) That sounds terrible. (laughs) Yeah. Here's my advice. You want to know how to be the life of the party? Don't worry about being the life of the party. Oh. Just go to the party and have fun, dude. Yeah, put the blast shield down, dude. Like, who cares if you're popular or if people talking about you afterwards? If you're having a good time, if you're talking to people and interacting and just, like, enjoying yourself and helping to raise the level of fun just by being there and being fun, mm-hmm. that's all you got to do at a party. You yeah, know, and then make sure you, you leave by nine so you can get a nice meal and get a bunch of Z's. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. By Z's, you mean Zob. By which you mean pizza, right? Yeah, yeah, Because yeah. you're a Ninja Turtle. <laughs> yeah, get a bunch of Z's. <laughs> and right. look, it took me a long time to realize, like, oh, if I'm going somewhere and I want to be comfortable and interact with people, then I should just, like, be myself and interact with people. Uh-huh. And then I'll have a good time. Elliot also practices the leave him want more strategy where he leaves early every time. Uh, Stuart does the stays there until the last drop strategy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's le- like, wait, you guys are done? What's going on? Let's keep drinking. I mean, the thing is, I leave early, but it takes me about an hour to say goodbye to everybody. Mm-hmm. So I have to start my goodbyes even earlier than when I actually Oh, leave. weird. Yeah. For some reason, it takes you a long time to say something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Cut me to the quick. Uh, I'm, you know, it might surprise listeners to learn that I'm also a stay there till the last moment, uh, party goer myself mm-hmm. though. Yeah. But you, but you mean stay in the one seat and not move till, yeah. the, till the last person goes. <laughs> sure. Uh, one last letter quickly. Uh, I've been listening to a lot of back episodes. This is from Kate last name withheld. Hey Kate. Mm-hmm. I've been listening to a lot of back episodes of the Flophouse lately. So it's no surprise that I finally had a strange and slightly sexual, maybe Flophouse stream. Here it is. I was sunbathing at Alki Beach in West Seattle, and Dan McCoy walked up to me and asked if he could lay down and use my butt as a pillow while he worked on his tan. I let him use my butt as a pillow. That was the whole dream. Anyways, love your podcast. Keep on flopping, Kate. 
Dance Casper's getting a workout tonight, boy. <laughs> <laughs> Elliot had this look on his face like, why did we go to this letter? No, no, I understand why we went to the letter. <laughs> yeah. yeah but that was not in any way a, uh, a mystery. Mm-hmm. It's like the end of a season of Fargo where you're like, this resolution isn't a huge surprise, uh, so I'm not shocked, but I'm just disappointed we got here. <laughs> <laughs> No, but that sounds actually like a very f- nice dream. It seems like a like I liked it because it was sort of a sweet dream. Yeah, sweet erotic dream. <laughs> something very nice about it. Something there's, very there's a playfulness to the eroticism mm-hmm. that brings to mind late night Showtime uh, movie viewings. Yeah, but so. like the, but like the ones that are like comedies, not the ones that are like thrillers. Yeah, like when the guy gets shrunken down and he's in the ladies. Uh, underpants. Mm-hmm. What? You never watch that movie? I no, I know. It, I know what movie you're talking about. <laughs> it was a. Uh, it was a USA Apple Night mainstay. Yeah, there was a scene where he's like climbing around on her pubic hair, and it's like, "Honey, I shrunk the kids," but with like, I don't know. I don't remember that it's, one. It was super unerotic, or was it super? Erotic? Do you guys remember one? It was a USA Apple Night movie about these a a guy and a girl are become college roommates for some reason. And they start to be, they're like competing as pimps, where they're no. like both running different <laughs> prostitution rings, featuring okay. college students having sex with other college students. And at the end, they merge their businesses and sleep together. And I guess they're in a relationship now. And it was, I was thinking about this the other day about what a weird storyline <laughs> that is. And I was trying to remember the name of the movie and I couldn't. So, but if I had a dime for every USA Apple Night movie I couldn't remember the name of, I'd have plenty of dimes. Probably yeah. at least a dollar's worth of dollars. So you better believe. Yeah, sure. Okay. Uh, so what's the next part of this podcast? Now this is the next and last part of this podcast is where we recommend movies. Movies that you should watch instead of watching the movie that we watched tonight, which was called... USS, USS Nap- in, 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 Naptown. Naptown. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Andy Naptown. Men of Courage. Yeah, thank you. Uh, Elliot, you look like you got something right on the tip of that little tongue. I got a, my tongue is very small. And yes, I have. So I can go first if you want. I saw a movie recently that I really liked a lot. Uh, it was at times bracing, uh-huh. uh, but really well made. And that was a documentary movie called I Am Not Your Negro, oh, directed okay. by Raul Peck. And it's basically, it's not exactly about James Baldwin, but it is taking some, uh, some, unfinished work of James Baldwin's about start uh the focus is specifically about the death of Medgar Evers, Malcolm X and Martin Luther King, but also through the way Raoul Peck juxtaposes that with other things relating the civil rights struggle of the sixties with the earlier plight of African Americans and then the what's going on with black people today and Black Lives Matters and creating a continuum between those things to show that those problems are underlying problems and continuing problems that can't go away easily and have not been dealt with. And it uses a lot of footage of, uh, of James Baldwin just speaking. And James Baldwin is one of the most articulate people who ever existed basically. And he's such a magnetic and like deep thinking speaker that I'm like his writing. I'm always incredibly inspired by and, and it's, and, confronted by like in ways that are don't always make me comfortable but are not supposed to make me comfortable yeah and seeing him speak is such an electrifying experience and the parts of the work that are from his writing are read by samuel l jackson and it was a long time into the movie before i realized it was samuel l jackson it's like 
maybe it's this narration is like one of the best performances by Samuel Jackson I've seen in a long time where it feels like he is becoming this character rather than playing his regular Samuel Jackson part. And I thought it was really good and made me, it was one of those things where it's like, it didn't, it's not exactly like it made me question my beliefs, but it made me reassert some beliefs and confront them and ask myself questions about how I'm living them, basically, those beliefs. And I thought it was was really effective and good. That's called I Am Not Your Negro. Yeah, I've heard only good things. I'm I'm really bad about getting around to watching documentaries in general. No, and this is also like it's not like a fun movie to watch in any sense of the word. Like it's it's a movie that it's not what you're not like, this is a toss up. Should I watch Lego Batman? (laughs) Exactly. It's not like, oh, that was a hard day at work. I guess I'll kick back and watch I Am Not Your Negro and and uh, kind of be be forced to confront the sins that I am complicit in in the, in the nation. Yeah. Um, I will say that at one point, in order to make the point, it, there, there are some movie clips it uses. It also it talks about a little bit of a portrayal of non-white people in movies in a way that James Baldwin wrote about in his work. And there, there's a part where it to kind of show the obliviousness of white America that was built on the oppression of black America, it shows a clip from the pajama game. And there was a moment where I was like, well, if you're going to hold up musicals to the to this level, then wait a minute. <laughs> but uh, it's not it's not a movie that you can just sit back for relaxation, but it was really good. Yeah. Uh, speaking of documentaries, I wanted to recommend maybe my favorite documentary, which is a movie called Crumb, which is about Robert Crumb. Now, Robert Crumb is, let's call him a problematic figure. Mm-hmm. He, uh, Having just recommended I Am Not Your Negro, certainly... Crumb's uh, treatment of black people in his work is yeah. He uh, he. I don't know. I don't know whether he is racist himself. He certainly treats uh, a lot of racist imagery in his uh, in his work. Uh, He it's it's he comes from this like Crumb as an artist is an amazing artist, but his subject matter a lot of it I feel like comes from that '60s National Lampoon type era mm -hmm. feeling where it was like I guess National Lampoon was a little later where it was like. White guys fighting against authority would still do shitty things and talk shitty things about black yes, people and women. Definitely, where it was like it's time for us to rise up and fight and fight the power, but you guys are still below me. And he has there's a there's a lot of that in in his. There's work. there's there's. I kind of feel like Johnny Ryan is kind of like a modern equivalent of that too. Maybe like, he's still he's still like it's almost like the I'm going to be as offensive as possible targeting everybody all the time. But I feel like with Johnny Ryan, there's like a, a consciousness about doing that. Whereas with Robert Crumb, I feel like there was a little bit of like, this is the kind of, these are the kind of like cartoon images of black people I grew up with. So I'm going to play with that iconography. Yeah. You you're know? Yeah. No, uh, and definitely also the way he treats women is nuts. <laughs> yeah. No, I was, I was going to get around to that too. He's, he's got racist imagery. His, his, his treatment of women is terrible. <laughs> like, let's say, uh, but that they're all. They're but his all, his draftsmanship. But his cross hatching. <laughs> no, I'm not going to defend Robert Crumb as a person. I don't think that the but the documentary documentary does so necessarily is that itself. It, he's an interesting person. He's an interesting character, and it presents his two brothers. It, it's weird when you watch a movie about Robert Crumb and you're like, oh, Robert Crumb was the normal one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that he has these crazier brothers. Well, that's the thing. Like you see how art has rescued Robert Crumb in a certain way, whereas where he can vomit out kind of all of these unpleasant sides of his personality onto the page, whereas his brothers uh, were not necessarily saved by that in the same way. They like, don't have an outlet. 
I mean, they, they both of them are like artists to some degree or another, but like not in the same way that Robert Crumb is. Not, and, in, a, not in a kind of recognized acclaim. Yeah. And uh, they are both, you know, to, to not to put it too fine upon on it, mentally ill people uh, who have their own troubles and struggles to deal with. And uh, you see how uh, Robert Crumb has somehow um, risen out of this family where there are these, there have been these problems. And um, uh, among- it's funny when you say I'm used to thinking of him as R. Crumb. So when you say Robert Crumb, I keep thinking you're about to say Robert Krolwich from Radiolab. <laughs> Very different person. Robert Krolwich, always playing around with uh, racist and sexist iconography. Robert Krolwich, he does all those Radiolab episodes about women with very thick thighs. Yeah. <laughs> yep. That are, either, uh, that are either attacking him or just mindless sex objects. It's just a fascinating character study. And there's also, uh, if you like, you know, like a camera... If you like a camera panning over beautiful uh, line drawings while jazz music plays, that also happens in Chrome a lot. So uh, it's a movie that's, uh, again, challenging, but I think it's a very good documentary. Stuart. And I'm going to recommend a new movie. Uh, I think by the time this episode comes out, it'll have been out for a little bit. I'm recommending the new Edgar Wright movie, Baby Driver. Uh, Dan saw it last night is what we both saw it last night, but at different screenings. Yeah. I had to go to a screening where Edgar Wright did a Q and a afterwards. Oh, you poor baby. Fulfilling a dream of seeing one of my favorite filmmakers make a, do a Q and a, um, so I don't, I mean, I don't think I need to say that much more about the, the background of the movie. It's a heist movie and it's a car chase movie and it's a movie that's, um, also kind of scene for scene set to, uh, to music so that the, um, even though it isn't like technically a musical in some ways, it reminds me of like a jukebox musical. Every scene has its own kind of rhythm that fits to the song that's been chosen. Uh, the cast is really great. Uh, my little buddy Ansel Elgort delivers a really great performance and holds his own sharing scenes with like Kevin Spacey and Jamie Foxx and John Hamm. Some of the like most charismatic actors currently working like fucking movie stars. Um, and I feel like all everybody involved is able to deliver these really great kind of, I don't want to say muted, but kind of subtle performances that hint at depth and don't, overshadow a movie that's already kind of big and in your face and kind of crazy. Now, Edgar Wright's a filmmaker that I, some of his past work I've had really strong connections with. Uh, I found spaced when I was in my early twenties and it really connected with me. Um, and then in my thirties, you know, world's end came out and I saw, I don't know a lot of connections between some of the relationships I had with both people and, uh, you know, being like the, the difference between, you know, growing up and being a man and my relationship with society. Um, and so a new Edgar Wright movie is kind of complicated for me. Like I, I basically, I going into it, I assumed I was going to like it and I, I think baby driver is great and I like it a lot. Um, but it isn't 
it isn't at the same place. Doesn't create that connection for you. Which is not necessarily a critique. It's just, it isn't, I'm not at the exact same place in my life. I think there's a lot of things that are amazing about it. It's great. You should go see it. Um, it, Edgar Wright has never been good at, uh, at giving female characters any kind of drive or purpose really in his movies. If ever yeah. There's a movie where they should have drive. It's baby driver, but the it's, it's funny. It and star like, many driver. Um, the, and a but, baby, but like baby newer. It's so funny that like, he, I mean, in a way, you got to start with Spaced, which is a show where, like, Jessica Stevenson is great, and yeah. she gets almost equal billing. She basically has equal billing to Simon Pegg. Like, she gets to be but silly. she co-wrote it. Yeah, well, but that's the sort of thing where you're like, um, it, it, would be, it would be nice to see that kind of voice in his work again. Yeah. Um, but that said, though this doesn't necessarily excuse it, uh, I know my wife... And uh, a couple other uh, female friends of mine have liked this more than any of his other works. Uh, my wife really didn't give a shit about his other stuff, but she loved like I w- I think she liked Baby Driver more than I did. I mean, um, that, his other stuff digs into how male friendship works yes. so much deeper that if even if this one is not is not like everyone gets a it gets fair screen time and character. If it's a if it's not about that, I could see how. No, I think would, I think you're right. How she would like it more, yeah. I'm excited um, to see it. I haven't you, seen it. I, I think. I mean, I think everyone should go see it. Um, I think it's great. I mean, the idea of a baby driving a car is hilarious. It's hilarious. It's like, look who's driving now. And and flee from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Elliot's favorite band is in it. Oh yeah, I just love their stuff. They give it away song. Mm-hmm. Don't give it away. Give it to me. <laughs> 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 All right. Uh, well, it's, uh, late and we've been recording for a long time. So that always means one thing. And that means that we're going to go away from your ears. Uh, go back to the, to the phantom zone where we exist between episodes. (laughs) So, uh, somebody closed the cupboard and we return to being little plastic (laughs) stand-em-ups. Hey, uh, we don't say podcast in the cupboard. We don't say it enough, but uh, we we belong to a uh, great network called Maximum Fun. Go to maximumfun.org. Check out all the other great shows there. There are a lot of fantastic shows. It's a, it, it, it we is just a, got a bunch of new ones, too. It's yeah. really awesome. Yeah, it's a really great network, and the level of quality is so consistent. And even when, and when new podcasts come in, like they bring quality with them. It's a really – I feel very proud to be part of this network. Yeah. So why don't you go do that while we uh, go off and go to sleep? Uh, for the go to sleep. For the all right. I'll go to sleep for both. Stuart's gonna go play video games. Party dude. all night long. Uh, <laughs> I will. I will do the opposite and creep into my house where my wife and son are sleeping and and crawl into bed. I'm gonna wrap them turtle beaches around my head, turn the power on, and go travel to another dimension of terror right. and excitement. <laughs> well. Everyone and Dan, has. What are you gonna po- do? Just go. To I'm bed. gonna go to bed, man. Okay. I'm gonna mix down these uh, three tracks that we're recording on, and then I'm gonna go straight to bed. Uh, but uh, that's a little technical talk for the podcast. <laughs> technical talk about what bed? Yeah, <laughs> on a Casper mattress sounds really great. For the flop house, I've been Dan McCoy. Hey, he's Elliot Kalen. Oh wow, Stuart Wellington. Wow. Oh man. Wow. <laughs> oh, and that's Owen Wilson. Good night, everyone. 
Yeah. How does it make you feel? How when, does it feel when mm-hmm. Elliot gives you like a really solid burn when you try to put out something honest in this uh, in the world? Like make some real honest Wait, creative you mean like content. That, that jingle? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How does it make you feel when Elliot just fucking holds you your feet to the coals? Just totally rocks you, rocks yeah. you, and socks flavor you. blasts me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, How does it make you feel? Uh, you know, I feel like a little soul. Part of my soul dies. Oh wow! Okay, you got a big. Soul. Oh wow! Wow, it's me, Owen Wilson. No, wow. it doesn't sound anything like Owen Wilson. <laughs> wow! How wow. does he fucking sound, then, dude? Wow, Ernest Hemingway. Wow, <laughs> F. Scott Fitzgerald. You think I'm a good right? Wow, <laughs> that's him in Paris. At, are you saying Paris he, at midnight? Midnight in Paris. Are you saying he's better than I am, Dan? Right there. Look, what? I'm not, my impression isn't great either. Wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> now I can't do it anymore. Maximumfun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.